folks and foxes and cheetahs, lions, whatever other kind of animals listen to this show. This is episode 138 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Dusty Gold. He's a canyoneer and caving guide who'd spent a great deal of his life reflecting on his predicament from the the pain he's experienced to his personal narrative and the connections that he shares with other people. Dusty has extensive knowledge of working with ropes, navigating um, terrain, exploring caves, mitigating risk, and leadership. Dusty has been repelling and adventuring since he was very young. He grew up on Vancouver Island with several acres of forest to play in, setting up zip lines, figuring out how to tie knots to keep himself safe as he's dangling in the air and over cliffs and even beneath bridges. It was beautiful to see how Dusty's interests and coping skills had evolved over the decades. We got to talk about how adventure has helped him work with his personal traumas, teaching him self-care, learning about his personal mythology, and his relationship to yogis and, and different gurus that had started in his youth. Dusty is a, a really cool guy with a very deep perspective. And he comes from this place of spending decades adventuring and discovering his own character. Before we begin this episode, um, I'm just going to talk about a little bit about um, the waking up app it's an awesome meditation app it's you can get it on android and ios it's like they have 10 minute and 20 minute meditations they even have a i believe it's a 30 day meditation guide that takes you through the principles of meditation and helps you get at least a foundational understanding of what meditation is and how it can affect your life um I love Sam Harris's waking up app because meditation can um, have a lot of like, you know, false or ambiguous and vague information, right? That's not very actionable. Um, but Sam tries to suss out all of the, the details and the factual information so and deliver it to you in a very succinct and compact way. A lot of meditation apps will focus on improving your quality of life through, you know, through sleep um, and things like that. But Sam really gets to the, the heart of consciousness. And the app is like an exploration of what consciousness is. And the beautiful thing is, is it's an experiential journey. He's putting you, he, he has these, you know, 10 minute um, experiences that, put you through um, that put you through these ways of being 
and these realizations that you come up with on your own. And experiential learning is something that I, you know, I'm a big proponent in. It's really helped me in my life. And I would say Sam does that really well with his app. So if you'd like to support the show and if you're interested, you can go to um, your app store and download the Waking Up app, or you can go over to the website, wakingup.com, and check it out. And another one is uh, Yoga for BJJ. Yoga for BJJ has been pretty excellent. Um, It has some very very short and succinct classes that can get you um, actionable improvements in your physical abilities and um, greater ease when doing your daily tasks and also when um, participating in your favorite sports. And even beyond jujitsu, I feel like yoga BJJ is um, like yoga for people who are interested in doing um, a lot of yoga, but want the most effects, you know, the most benefits. Uh, they have an awesome app on um, iOS and on the Play Store that's worth checking out, and it's a pretty cheap program. As an alternative, though, uh, you can also go to Do Yoga With Me, and they have amazing um, free yoga videos that I started out with before getting into you know Yoga for BJJ and some other programs as well. Um, and if you had check out Yoga for BJJ, be sure to let them know that Will from Becoming Human Podcast sent you so that you could support the show. And then um, at the end of the show, I'm going to play you out with a song called um, Without Expectations by Trevor Hall. And if you want to learn more about Dusty, you can find the links um, to those in the show notes and even find a video on what it's like to go canyoneering, which is way different than what I thought it was and it looks really cool to me um, without any further ado here's Dustin don't be scared come on in everything will be alright what's to lose all we gotta do is try let us share don't be scared come on in everything will all right, Dusty, uh, could you tell me a little bit about um, the kind of adventures that you like to have? Uh, sure. I uh, I like outdoor adventure. <laughs> yeah. Basically, out in na- adventure in nature, um, exploring the world, uh, seeing beautiful things, beautiful places. Um, I try to go places where it's um, not everybody can go, mm-hmm. so uh, caves and canyons and big trees and things like that. And um, particularly, um, I've kind of grown accustomed to using ropes to get there. So (laughs) using rope access, using ropes to rappel into caves and canyons and um, and that type of thing. How did your experience and love of like using ropes to get into these places start? Hmm. Um, Well, when I was a little boy, um, I was born on Canada Day and I grew up on Vancouver Island. And every Canada Day, uh, they would have a parade. And uh, and we had a the 442 Squadron is in the, in Comox, which is the search and rescue squadron for the coast. So the, they would do a demonstration where a helicopter would, this big yellow helicopter would fly and hover over the park. And then a 
door would open up and out, out would come the search and rescue technician. Whoa. He'd repel. He'd be repelling down a couple hundred feet down this rope down to the ground. Yeah. He'd disconnect from the rope and the helicopter would go fly off and it would circle a couple times and then it would come and hover again and hang down a hoist or uh, lower a cable and hook on the Sartek and take him up. And I, I remember this from about five or six years old. That's and cool. um, every year that the weather was good enough for them to fly, they would do this. Mm-hmm. And, man, I thought that was the coolest thing. Wow. And um, that got me really interested. And so I would look at books in the library or whatever and see anything on climbing and mountaineering. And uh, I'd see, like, military books. And I'd see – I saw images of somebody rappelling with a rope with a rope wrapped around the carabiner and so on. So um, – and then uh, – what got me to finally start doing stuff, actually, it was the, the Star Wars movies. Um, <laughs> I saw, first off, I saw Star Wars in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> that takes you back a bit. And then awesome. uh, Empire Strikes Back happened, and there's that scene in Empire Strikes Back where there's the snow walkers, and he's got his crash speeder, and he takes this uh, little harpoon thing, and he shoots it up into the walker, and he pulls oh. himself up in there, and he goes, and he, you know... Disables the walker and he kind of drops off and gets back down and, and oh. saves the day. And I thought, oh, that's just the coolest thing. I, that, that stuff got me really inspired wow. about about rope and going up and down and stuff. And mm-hmm. it just seemed such a cool adventure to do. And then uh, I think I was around twelve years old. I think uh, I recall my dad got some uh, some sisal rope. You mm-hmm. know, just the old uh, sisal rope, maybe uh, maybe like a three eighths inch or so or half inch rope, maybe about a hundred feet of it. And um, I know it was uh, whatever the timing was. I think it was about 13 uh, when I first took that rope. And I figured out, I was from pictures and books, I figured out how to make myself a little basic harness. And I got a uh, one of those marine uh, kind of boat hook carabiners that are kind mm-hmm. of uh, somewhat pear-shaped. Yeah. And uh, just followed the pictures and just kind of wrapped the rope around the spine of that. And I rappelled off my barn. Whoa. So off the barn roof, you know, it was, you know, maybe 15 feet or something was my first repel. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I can do this. And then I started to do it more. That's and cool. We actually had a cherry tree in our front yard, too, that I would hang ropes in. And I would just make my little improvised harness and I would kind of swing around and uh-huh. pendulums and so I didn't spin even, around and all kinds of stuff like that. It just it was so fun. I never thought of that as like, I wish I would have now thinking back to it, but as a kid thinking that as a way to play, to be able to like create this level of, you know, figure out what safety is, engage yeah. with risk. And then like you could suspend yourself and swing. You can go up and down the rope. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And all I had, I mean, I saw the hoist of people going up. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to go up yet. Um, I saw the going down, so I started to figure that out. And then um, gradually I found some mountaineering books and show what prussics were and how to prussic on rope and stuff. I started playing around with that. And um, um, another time uh, my dad had gotten a hold of some like big one-inch like marine rope, mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up rigging that like a zip line. Whoa. And he made a, a big pulley thing for me out of these various machine parts that he had. My dad was pretty good at, at inventing and making stuff. That's so That's cool. He made me this thing, and I had this, I could climb up into this tree and kind of just hold on to it and yeah. slide down to the next one, you know, wow. over maybe about 75 feet or mm-hmm. 80 feet or something. Dude, that, that was super fun. so cool. See, I, even, like, from an adult's perspective, I didn't have a lot of, like, you know, yes people like that. Yeah. And, like, when I think about it now, though, I have a friend, he, he rigs uh, – zip lines for fun around his property mm-hmm. and I was like I didn't realize how 
kind of easy it is in the sense that you get a little bit of money or you get a little bit of you know spare parts in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and you can put things together and you just have a zip line like yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and if you're really fortunate you don't get hurt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <that. laughs> really fortunate you figure it out uh in advance the right way but uh, sadly a lot of people don't so yeah. you know actually these days there's a there's actually a YouTube channel on uh, on I think it's uh, how not to zip line or how, <laughs> how not to you know tight line or something like yeah. that for the people that tight line. So it's actually a really good informative thing on you know what not to do and how to do things safe and oh, stuff yeah. and not die because <laughs> um, there's a lot of math involved, a lot of forces involved. That um, you know when I was young, I you know always had big trees. I was strong, strong, rope was strong. It's like yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, I didn't understand all the force dynamics then like I do now. Uh, but fortunately, all that worked out. Um, <laughs> and I think, I don't know, this was maybe 14. I actually um, bought uh, my own rope. I got 200 feet of uh, about 3 eighths marine braid rope. So Whoa. it was like a double braid nylon rope. And that became my rappel rope and my adventure rope. And then I had a buddy that was kind of into this. He'd been through Army Cadets. So I was in for a brief time as well. And he'd rappelled. And so we started kind of, you know, I was kind of initiating adventures. And we'd go out and mm. we'd repel stuff or we'd uh set up you know little zip lines or traverse Whoa. lines tyrolean traverses across gullies and stuff Whoa. and just go over across on pulleys so it's like you're going out into the woods and you're looking at these obstacles yeah. in some way and you're like how how could i get across that obstacle or find some way to use rope to solve this problem yeah whoa yeah. and then we did I never even framed it that way either. Like I'm, you know, I've uh, learned about you through like canyoneering, right? Yeah, and talking yeah. about that. I've never looked at like, I don't know, not even a tree to where it's <laughs> like, you know, I think about climbing trees, but I'm not yeah. like, you know, how can I use rope to be able to have this kind of adventurous experience where I got to keep myself safe and, you know, figure totally. it out, like the yeah. whole dynamics. Yeah, I have this whole evolution of stuff because I, I grew up with trees in my yard, and uh -huh. so I would climb trees and stuff. I remember, you know, being like four or five years old, I'd be climbing up these cedar trees. And um, I think the fact that I, I grew up on a farm, on a 135-and-a-half-acre farm with about half in forest, half in woods, and, um, you know, farm life. My, my dad was working a lot of the times, so or my mom would be out working. So I'd come home from school, and sometimes there'd be somebody there, sometimes mm -hmm. there wouldn't, and I would just go out and, and do adventures on the farm. Oh, um, cool. So in a way, I had a lot of free range that way. Um, come to think of it, uh, i just throw this in. We also had, like, you know, there was a farm, so we had, like, mm -hmm. a rifle in almost every corner of the barn for oh, predators wow. and stuff. So I grew up with that, too. And just the familiarity, learning about guns and shooting and stuff when I was young. And mm -hmm. so it was just something that was in my environment. But it wasn't like nothing was all, you know, there was some, there was always one that had one in the chamber on safety mm -hmm. for in case a cougar or a bear or something came and attacked the sheep or yeah. something. Right? So, but I learned I learned how to use those things. I learned respect for that and stuff. So I was basically pretty safe. I, I wasn't a kid that would go out and, like, get myself in really bad trouble. I actually wanted to be mm -hmm. careful and mm -hmm. be safe, but I also loved to adventure. So that that just kind of expanded more and more for me um, as I as I grew up um, and got into my teens and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so roughly about 13, yeah, I started to repel for the first time. Um, about a year or so later, my friend and I, we found this 100-foot water tower. Oh. And uh, actually, this was actually before I even had that marine braid rope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is terrible. I had like 200 feet of quarter-inch yellow poly rope. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> so I double roped that off of yeah. a steel rail, just with through a figure that's eight, thin. no backup. Oh wow! Yeah, it was very nerve wracking. That's for sure. But yeah. I did it. Survived. Uh huh. Nothing broke. <laughs> it was all right. Um, shortly after that, then I bought my my three eighths rope, my two hundred mm. feet of that, and so that was a far better rope and, oh, and yeah. way safer. And uh, and all that, and I just uh, kept it's, going. Is it safer because of the diameter or the material? <laughs> yeah. yeah, both. <laughs> okay, yeah. both of those things. Yeah. So if anybody that's uh, yeah ever seen that, you know, you go to a hardware store and you see that trip. Triple braid, yellow polyester, poly oh, yellow plastic rope. That stuff with the twist. That Whoa. stuff. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I did a hundred foot rappel off a of water tower. That was my my first really big one. Um, <laughs> and then I bought some proper rope, and then I started to do it off of um, cliffs, bridges. Like mm-hmm. we, uh, I grew up uh, on the Comox Valley, so uh, Comox Lake is a fairly long lake, and it's got a road along, and there's all kinds of cliffs and stuff. And actually, even the that four four two squadron. I'll get to a story a little bit later on where mm-hmm. they actually came and. Gave me a personal visit yeah. out there one time, which was pretty cool. <laughs> um, anyhow, so yeah, and I just uh, just using just really basic harnesses, just like slings of webbing to make a really simple sit harness. Mm-hmm. Or then I learned how to make a Swiss seat, how to tie your own. Yeah. And um, that's a big thing for someone who's a teenager where you're like, because with this, just with the Swiss seat harness, you know, for example, for, for people out there, like you have to follow, follow steps. Mm-hmm. And if you don't follow steps, the steps properly, it doesn't work. Yeah, correct. It could be unsafe. It, it could come off your body. You could fall out of it, a type of thing. So, yeah. So, yeah, pretty important. Uh, again, I've always had a, <laughs> I never really had a death wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I um, Actually, just recently, I, I heard this, this this quote. I don't know who told me this, but it was like, whatever. Yeah, dude, dude, if I'm, oh, yeah, I think I was listening to a podcast, actually. Actually, it was Glenn Villeneuve, Villeneuve on uh, his Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, he was yeah. saying, he was saying, if you're going to do dangerous stuff, do it, say, do it as safely as you can. Yeah. If you're going to take a lot of risks, do it as safely as you can. So I've kind of subscribed to that for the most part throughout my life uh, with a few occasional, with a, only a couple of gaps ever of... Hmm complacency that that caused that ended me uh up in an accident but um all anything that's you know risky or dangerous that's happened or close calls um have been powerful learning experiences for me mm-hmm. to never repeat and to also to pass that on to other people so they could uh avoid those you know dangers as well yeah. as much as possible uh and kind of mitigate risk um so I had kind of progressed from about 13 onward. I had a friend that I would go out with a fair bit, and we had these various places we'd go and, and rappel stuff and oh, yeah. gravel pits and all kinds of stuff. We would do this uh, these adventures. And one day I was sitting uh, sitting in the house, and I was listening to CBC Radio was on, and uh, they started talking about this Tyrolean Traverse High Line that they were going to do off Mount Aerosmith. Ooh. And it was going to be the Canadian Search and Rescue Society was going to do it, and it was... You know, they had done some world record stuff and they were going to try to do this line and it might be a world record. It might not. But they're going to they're going to do this this line set up and uh, that they needed participants to ride in that for 50 bucks. Whoa. You could sign on. You could get for 50 bucks. You get a helicopter ride up to the top and you get to ride down this this line. That's cool. So the first time I went out there. Um, it ended up that they had some technical difficulties and we all couldn't ride that day. So it's like, uh-huh. oh, okay. So we came back and we came back, I think, a weekend later and we did it. Um, so I had paid my 50 bucks and I 
you get flown uh, from Mount Aerosmith on Vancouver Island. It's about a 7,900-foot mm-hmm. foot peak. Wow. And uh, the hike up, I've done the hike a couple of times, and it's, it's a bunch of false summits. Mm-hmm. So you you hike and you think you're, especially if it's in the cloud, you think you're getting to the top of a summit, and then you go down the other side, and then you get up another one, and you keep going down. Oh, there's, wow. there's like four or five of these things. So uh, instead, from there, we just uh, helicoptered up uh, up this valley. This big call that... Um, and up to the top and got dropped off. And in the meantime, everything was all pre-rigged. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a specially made rope. It was 13 millimeter rope, mm-hmm. roughly 7,000 feet of rope. Wow. On a gigantic spool. And they slung the whole rope up this whole valley by helicopter. Uh-huh. The oh. length of the line that we traveled was a mile and a quarter long. <sighs> so a little over 6,000 feet, uh, 6,500 feet. And... Um, was the main line and then we had tag lines all these other ropes tied together as tag lines to basically to control the descent and we would go down so how it worked was there was a big pulley um with a rope um that was attached to the main line and then from that rope went into a loaded brake rack Mm -hmm. so a brake bar descending rack tied off and then two of us in these big body bumblebee harnesses they call them because they look like a big bumblebee yeah it's like a big body wrap you just put like a big vest and you just pull the thing up and clip in whoa it's that's very cool. supportive yeah, yeah very supportive. Nice. Not, not like a normal harness mm-hmm. and two at a time would go out and then they would up at top um they have another brake bar that they're lowering um the load you're lowering the two people because mm-hmm. if you just let them go they would fly down and impact the bottom yeah. it would be like disaster oh my gosh yeah what was going on we were going off was about four to five hundred feet maybe mm-hmm. 600 foot whoa and uh so my i think that the highest place above the ground there is about yeah five to six hundred feet mm-hmm. and there was one spot where you kind of got you got within about 150 feet because it kind of went down this valley and there's one little high point so the the closest spot like in halfway in the line you would get maybe 150 to 200 feet from the treetops below and then it and then it just dropped out again another you know hundreds and hundreds of feet that's cool and um i so first off i was terrified really going out to the side i was like oh my god i just had such a heebie-jeebies yeah because at that point in my life um, quite naturally and normally, as I think most people would get kind of the willies. I would get kind of the the willies at, at looking at treetops. Even if I saw photos of rock climbers mm-hmm. above treetops and stuff, I would just like inter- imagine myself there, and I'm like, oh my god, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, is he just feel this uh, panic? I guess it's of, like, sense like, of, <gasps> of danger. I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. So right? vulnerable, right? Yeah, yeah. So here I was. I'd paid for this ride, and I really wanted to do this, mm-hmm. but I was getting to the part where it's like, okay, I'm getting harnessed up. And we've got to go over the, off this cliff. Now, I was with somebody else who could mm-hmm. operate the brake, the brake rack and all that, and that was fine. Um, it was a young person, too. I was 17 at the time. This other guy was maybe 18 or 19, but he'd, he'd had some experience with this stuff, so we rode down together. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I tell you, I was about you know going off that edge. It was terrifying. Oh, like, my gosh. But I was supported, and I kept going. And about 40 feet, when I got about 40 feet, into free space off that edge, um, I felt my fears and anxieties just shatter and fall away, oh. like br- like breaking glass. I think I described to you like candy yeah, glass like candy being glass. smashed. Because after that, it was like, yeah, this is awesome. Oh, wow. oh my god, I want to do this again. Yeah, let's oh, do this again. You know, yeah. and I was only forty feet out, and so I went for that whole ride. 
it was it was the most fantastic thing that I had done at that point. It's still up there and one of the coolest things I've probably done in my lifetime as far as that was a very unique experience. That's incredible. Um and that that just shattered. And I, and I no long after that, I'm like I didn't have a problem being up on edges and heights as long as I was unattached to something. Mm-hmm. Of course, if I'm not attached to something, I'm going to feel pretty nervous around yeah. the cliff edge because I don't really want to. Exactly. You, know, you don't want to die. That quick yeah. right now. So, you know, but as far as being attached to a rope or something, mm-hmm. um, I was very, I became very comfortable. And I met a few people at that event that were also rock climbers. Mm-hmm. And I connected with them and they were going over and climbing in Squamish. So mm-hmm. um, within within a month of that experience, I went over with them to Squamish and started to climb in the smoke bluffs. And they were climbing 510s, 511s, placing mm-hmm. gear. And that's where I learned to follow, learned oh, to place wow. gear. So um, and fortunately, it was a full full assortment. You know, it wasn't pitons at the time. Yeah. I, I did later on play with aid climbing and learn to aid climb and oh, stuff using cool. all kinds of 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 you just aid mm-hmm. um but uh from uh yeah from around september of 87 onward i started to to rock climb and and just get right into it and did you re- find yourself really enjoying that kind of experience and the dynamics of that like, absolutely yeah. absolutely i wow. love the dynamics of it i love the environment mm-hmm. i love the the gear the kind of uniqueness of it it wasn't something that every i mean there's a lot of people doing it then but mm-hmm. not so much like now yeah um, in Squamish was very developed at that point, but you know, now so probably even more. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, geez. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that's where I started to learn, uh, learn to place, placing gear. So I started just as, as anybody who's going to learn how to place in gear, you start mm-hmm. up following, you second and yep. you clean gear. And mm-hmm. that's how you learn. You learn how it's placed. And um, so I got to follow several climbs on that. I got to do a little bit of a lead where I was oh. actually placing gear. I mean, this happened in one trip. I was learning this wow. stuff. And I was so keen onto it. I just absorbed it and understood it. After that moment that you had in, in the in the Highline experience, um, when you're coming here, and especially as you start to lead, did you find yourself revisiting those same feelings that you had as you're about to launch off on that long trip? Or, or because of that experience, did you find yourself really comfortable and just in your element? I think because of that experience, I mean, that was the most, that was the pinnacle probably of my fear of heights. And that was really the confrontation of it. Mm-hmm. Because not only was I on the edge of a cliff, I was actually suspended on a rope 40 feet out from the edge. Mm-hmm. And the bottom was about 600 feet below me. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that was absolute surrender mm-hmm. for one thing. And then being supported and then you know trusting the system i had seen obviously the ropes were very strong obviously everything was technically set up correctly yeah there's teams of people up top there's a team of people um controlling the tagline the tagline is going through a break rack Mm -hmm. and they had a sheet of canvas and they had buckets and buckets bottles and bottles and bottles of water Oh, huge amount of water big pallet of buckets and bottles of water Uh they've flown up and the reason why is because 6,000 feet of rope going through a brake rack gets pretty hot. Uh-huh. And if you just let that rope run, that brake, that steel's going to get start. You know, oh, yeah. Nylon melts at 390, yeah. roughly. Um, so to cool down the brake rack, the, it was uh, it was a team of people. There'd be one person continually see holding this piece of canvas underneath mm-hmm. the brake rack and somebody else, two people operating, making sure you got the main operator and a backup for that. And then one person holding canvas, like a four-person team, and another mm. person just continuously pouring water onto it to wow. cool the bars, to water cool the, the brake bars. Oh, wow. 
and um before we actually got online like uh because we'd take our backpacks up and stuff with us and so what they do and people that either hadn't helicoptered up whether it'd be all these packs mm -hmm. our day packs and uh so what they do is they'd send the packs down first on the line and they just hook them to a like, couple packs to a pulley yeah and send it down oh. and so a mile and a quarter of rope and and your packs go and you hear this thing go down across the valley going yeah, you just hear this thing whipping down oh, there. That's so cool. And then on the bottom side of the curve, as things start to flatten out. Now the the tagline didn't go all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. It stopped probably a couple hundred feet short. That's just because they just didn't have enough rope. Yeah. Oh right? wow. So so when we got to the very eventually when we rode the line and got to mm -hmm. the bottom, we used that that tied off brake rack to descend uh, about ninety feet down to the slash below us. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was a cool experience, too. Whoa, that is cool. Uh, but what, what would happen on the bottom end when they sent the packs down is they had um, two people would catch the packs like uh, aircraft landing on an aircraft carrier. Whoa. So they had um, rope out there with a couple carabiners in with a knot in it, and they each had people on either side of the line. They'd go out or or down down low in the slash below with this, you know, you know, rope that goes up and as the pack would come down they basically would catch it and absorb so that the packs wouldn't slam into the yeah. into the termination at the end and then uh one person would come out on their own pulley out, out on the line once the pack was stopped and grab the packs and take them in whoa wow that's so cool it was a very cool experience I, you know and i sadly i lost the photographs and i've looked online it was before the age of internet so there oh, is yeah. apps i have not been able to find oh, anything about life oh, oh, yeah. but wow. at the time it was in papers and i had some really awesome photographs and stuff but oh, I, cool. I lost them along the way but oh, the, yeah. the memories stay and the experience stays that's an interesting thing that you talked about which is full surrender and mm. that's what I've had within like rock climbing is is in jujitsu too, where the realization that like what what's in my control and what's out of my control, mm -hmm. and being able to to really internalize that, because yeah. then like I you know I'll go and climb and I'll like wonder at all these like externalities that I you know might not be able to control. What if I fell? If I'm gonna fall, like. Am I going to die here? Any of these kinds mm -hmm. of things, and I just realized that that's like I'm losing that. I almost want to say losing control of my inner world, but not really. It's like I'm really pointing inward and I'm not being present and I'm I'm running away with it. And yeah. the, in that environment, um, it's very intense and very obvious when you get to that place. Yeah. So it's easy Definitely. for me to address that as opposed to because it feels acute, yeah. not chronic. Yeah. And just, you know, small in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I find that like as I do it for rock climbing, because people come and talk to me about this a lot, like. Oh, I'm scared of heights. How could you ever do that? Mm -hmm. It's like for for an amount of people, that's part of the process. At yeah. least that's that's how it is for me. It's like it's a learning, like, you know, what can I control? What can I control? What is what is real risk? Mm -hmm. How do I mitigate the risk yes. that's there? And like and also how do I trust in my abilities? Like one thing is is you do a double rope propel, right? Mm -hmm. And you um you got to tie a knot in the two ropes to join the ropes together. Yeah. Well, like if you're somebody who, who has a lot of self-doubt, imagine looking that up and, and, tying the, and tying the knot, right? And you and self-doubt arises and you're like, well, is that really the right way to do it? Right. And like if it's like mm -hmm. and if it's and if it's if it is that for me, it's so big to where I can be delusional sometimes to where it's like, no, I have like. In case I have a card right here, yeah. right? Yeah. I look at the card and it's tied. And then in my head, I'm like, well, what if it slips? 
Mm-hmm. And like that yeah. relationship day in and day out or like weekend after weekend mm-hmm. of dealing with that, I like conditioned myself to build that relationship and trust. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, with, with my abilities and the things that I learn. Because mm-hmm. it's Hello. like one thing to be in martial arts to be like, oh, you taught me how to do, you know, just a sweep, trip mm-hmm. someone, put them on the ground. Yeah. And like if I can't do that you know, feeds into my own personal narrative and blah, blah, blah. Right. My life is not at stake. Mm-hmm. But then when I go out into these environments, my life, even if it's not, it feels like it is very much at stake. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I think that that that's a natural progression. I think that just about, you know, whether whether people overcome or, or embrace that fear or overcome it or not. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty natural for most people. Yeah. And here I am now. Uh, I've been I've been caving. Well, I've been repelling for 37 years. I've started caving. My first cave was in 1990. My first real cave in 93, and I became a cave guide in 95. So I've now I'm 50. I've been wow. half my life. I've been guiding and caving and stuff. And I also simultaneously, though I had already been repelling off bridges and off you know little waterfalls and stuff, I didn't know. And I started to see stuff about canyoning in the Southwest where it was a slot canyons and stuff. But mm-hmm. I didn't know until 95 that they made gear for this. It was a thing. Whoa. So what? I was actually doing my guide training at Horn Lake Caves uh, Provincial Park. And um, there's a campground, uh, you know, house there that uh, we would use kind of as our guide place. And there was a, a kitchen table. So, you know, the guides, we'd all come there and cook our meals and stuff. And. I came in uh, one one afternoon. I'd, I'd come in to come, and we were like camping there. So I would, you know, come from wherever I lived and come mm-hmm. and stay there for them for my week. And there was a new Petzl catalog on the table. First off, it was the first time I ever saw a Petzl catalog, wow. which was the coolest thing. And yeah. I used to have a collection, which sadly also got lost <laughs> because I started Aww. to collect them after that. But so, if anybody out there has never seen a, an actual Petzl, now does all their stuff online. But they used to make these. Um, I think you can still get hard copies if you order it. They would make these fully bound, full color catalogs, and it not only was a catalog of their gear, but it has instruction manual of how to use safely all their gear. Whoa! So that was super informative, and it also taught me. It showed me different options and stuff. But as I'm flipping through it, kind of the cave, I get to canyoning. I'm like, what? Canyoning, and then I see that they're oh, they've actually got special harnesses for this. I got special things. At the time, there weren't special canyon descenders. It was still figure eights and things like that. But mm-hmm. techniques were in there. Whoa. Rope techniques and stuff that I learned from, and it was just like, oh my god, this is a thing. And I was, I was in an environment where there was creeks and canyons and stuff around. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I got to do this too. So, <laughs> so right away, aside from my from my caving, uh, I would be going to uh, you know like the outflow of Qualicum of of uh, from Horn Lake was a little Qualicum mm-hmm. river and there was a cool little canyon waterfall there. And then there was an inflow and there was some other sections there. Whoa. And there's a whole bunch of little canyony things around the area. So we started to go play in those. That's cool. Repelling off bridges, swimming through water, getting to little rappel drops and, you know, Whoa. just doing the whole water thing. And I also grew up swimming too. And so I, I always love being in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, I grew up on Vancouver Island, so it's surrounded with lakes and ocean and, you know, islands and all that stuff. So wow. I've always been in all those elements. Um, for for people out there who aren't familiar, what is what is canyoneering and what is it like? Like, could you paint a picture for the, yeah, what sure. it feels like the canyoneer? I'll try. Yeah. Um, so... Canyons are essentially the water courses that are that are eroded into the earth um, by the flow of water or 
sometimes that can be like in a place where there's been sandstone canyons. It's just the long for a long period of time, water year by year is gradually cutting a deeper and deeper groove down into the rock. So, um, and and it can even be where there's no longer water flowing. You know, maybe it happened during the end of a glacial period or something like that, where the canyons were really developed. And so in the southwest where it's soft rock like sandstone and limestone, the water will cut pretty good grooves into into and make really cool canyons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're completely dry, and that's what's called a class A canyon. And sometimes they've got standing water, pools of water, or maybe little trickles. You might just, you know, step across a stream, something like that, but you're not actually swimming in the water. Mm-hmm. That's called a class B canyon. And majority of what I do and have done in my life and do currently around here and I teach is uh, Class C canyoning, which mm-hmm. is aquatic canyoning or also swift water canyoning. Ooh. So that involves um, swift water techniques, sometimes swimming in currents, swimming in big water, uh, rappelling either next to or quite often in waterfalls. Wow. Uh, dealing with current, dealing with, with a lot of extra things that you just don't. A lot of extra hazards, basically, that you don't have on just a dry canyon. Dry mm. canyon, you can just repel. If you have a problem, get a T-shirt or a hair or something stuck in your descender. There's some procedures to escape that and to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and you can use prosthetics. You can use methods to ascend up your rope that take a bit of time and a bit of effort, but it's not so bad. Uh, whereas once you get into an environment, and this is the same. This sort of really paralleled caving for me because mm-hmm. caves... On Vancouver Island, it's all primarily all limestone caves, which are again, they're, they're canyons underground, oh. canyons with a roof. So the type of cave passages that are typical when water first starts pushing its way through limestone and dissolving away, it makes a round passage um, called a phreatic tube mm-hmm. or a phreatic passage. Um, and after the, especially if the water's been kind of pressurized, it had a bunch of ice melting above, or it's had a really good uh, continuous water source. That water is basically piping down through the rock mm-hmm. and gradually dissolving over time. And then once that flow, if that flow sort of subsides and there's still a stream of water, then that water starts cutting down into the floor. And uh, it creates sort of a keyhole-looking passage. Mm-hmm. And over time, if that, that slot down into the floor, because most caves, most limestone caves, you go up to the ceiling, it's going to be rounded. And mm-hmm. then down below that, big canyon. Whoa. So we call those Vidose Canyons. Or a Vidos Trench or a Vidos Canyon. Mm-hmm. And um, so some of my, you know, the skills that people use in the Southwest, I still haven't gone canyoning in the Southwest. Yeah. But wow. I've done the techniques of stemming, climbing, because I've been a climber too. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially a lot of the, some of the limestone caves on Vancouver Island are essentially slot canyons underground. Wow, that is and, cool. But the, well, except for with canyoneering. So canyoneering is uh, generally top down. We usually start up at the top of a hillside. Mm-hmm. We'll get to go follow some creeks, water flow for a bit, hiking down creek bed. Uh, and then we'll get to a, a waterfall and then we'll rappel down that waterfall. We'll pull our ropes and then we'll get to the next waterfall, mm-hmm. rappel that, pull our ropes. And so we're kind of going top down, taking our ropes with us as we go. That's cool. Caving though. Most caves, <laughs> the way you go in is the way you come back out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a few caves that I've been in on, or that I know. I mean, I know a number. There's more caves than I know of that I've been in on Vancouver on that you can do through trips, but mm-hmm. several that I know that you can go in one entrance and come out another. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit more rare there. Um, so generally caving, 
we're rigging our ropes at waterfalls and stuff and going down, but we're leaving our ropes fixed in place. And then when we come back up, we're ascending back up those waterfalls mm. um, or around those waterfalls or however we've rigged our ropes. Mm-hmm. And um, so so it's much more technically, you, you've really got to be in there in the elements. We wear protective clothing, um, canyoning, and it's going to be wetsuits. Some caves will actually wear wetsuits as well. Oh. And then a tough coveralls on the outside we call a cave suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll wear warm layers on the inside and then uh, and a protective suit on the outside to help protect from the elements and abrasion and all that stuff that's, and water and all those things. And is that that's because like in the caving atmosphere, right, you're, you're sometimes crawling uh, a lot on your belly and stuff like that. <clears throat> like you're not standing most True. of the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. A lot of the time or some caves, not all caves. There's mm-hmm. plenty of caves where you just walk through and backpack through. I've, I've definitely mm-hmm. been on those on Vancouver Island where you, you can't even touch the ceiling. Mm-hmm. You start wow. from one side of a ridge and you just backpack through this enormous space. Oh. Um, other times, though, yeah, absolutely. There's lots of crawls, mm-hmm. crawling mud, you know, and then you might get to a big room and a big open walking passage and then you might get to a crawl again mm-hmm. or you might get to a sump of water where you've actually got to get in the water um, we, we once did a, did this trip where into, uh, Resonance Cave on Vancouver Island back in, uh, in 2000, actually. Yeah, it was year 2000. And, um, we actually had to drain, we had to siphon out a bunch of water to be able to get through, but we would, we put our wetsuits on and we're swimming through passageway and to get through this little space, we could have, you could basically go inverted on your back. And you'd have just enough airspace mm-hmm. to breathe. You'd have one ear out of the water, one ear and half of your face in the water. And you had just enough space to breathe and wiggle through. And then you get up to the other side and then it opens up and there'd be a big going cave. Whoa. And um, three of us that went, we were the first ones to go into that. And we discovered Canada's largest, at least known at the time, uh, the largest stalagmite that was known, which was uh, we call the wedding cake. It's about three and a half meters tall so wow. that's uh, 12 and a half almost 15 feet tall about oh thir- thir- 13 14 feet tall somewhere in there that's incredible uh looks like a giant giant wow, giant man, wedding cake it's just so spectacular cool. and um though we were surveying at the time we did a little bit of passage scooping in that and uh i got to crawl and i got to be uh this wasn't, wasn't my first play, time into a place where no humans had been, but it was definitely mm. one of my memorable ones. Oh, wow. Where I got to lay my eyes on something for the first time. Um, what does that feel like? Uh, it's pretty magical. Yeah. It's pretty magical. It's pretty awesome. It's just an awe-inspiring feeling. Um, mm-hmm. First off, the, the feeling of exploration, of going into a place, but then, um, you know, knowing, realizing, like, you're the first ones, you're, you're, you're breaking the way, you're leading the way, and you don't know what you're going to find, and... Um, sometimes, you know, you're, you're hopeful that you'll find something good and sometimes, yeah, it kind of peters out and you don't really see much. Mm-hmm. Other times what you find is spectacular and, and amazing and stuff. And wow. even, even if just, just as a personal comparison, you know, cause I, I could say there's caves in the world like Lechuguia cave, uh, and these incredible, beautiful caves that are super well decorated and formed in different ways. Now, even in a cave that's not super well decorated, you know, or it might just be a different thing, but mm-hmm. it's still that breaking through and finding something and seeing something for the first time. Mm. It's especially pretty cool when you go through something really narrow and awkward, and then mm-hmm. you get to walking passage on the other side. Wow. It's like subway tunnels. Because it creates a lot of tension, right? Like when you're in somewhere so 
Could you like give me a rough idea of what it feels like emotionally to be in somewhere narrow and awkward? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say this from my perspective. So, but my perspective, I've I've been a guide, so I I've experienced a lot of these feelings myself. And when mm-hmm. I was first in caves, I was very nervous of caves. I actually, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark, and I was also afraid of heights. Mm-hmm. So now I love the dark, clearly, and I have no problem with ice as long as I've got some kind of safety stuff around. I'm pretty comfortable with that stuff. Um, But I've learned to trust those things, and I've I've learned that there's, you know, not monsters in the dark. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've kind of gotten a better understanding where I feel more comfortable. Uh, But I tell you, my first time going into a, uh, a real crawlway, I was super nervous. Oh my God, I was just so freaked out. All I could think about is all this rock about me. I'd think like, what if there's an earthquake? Yeah. What if this rock? What if you know? What if I get squished like a bug? You know, and I'm just oh, thinking about like all yeah. these worst case scenarios mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. And um, so it can be very nerve wracking. But yet, you know, uh, I was with for my first time. I was with a group of other people. So like, there's this okay, but I got to follow the people. Yep. So it's like, all right, <laughs> I can going. follow. I can follow those boots ahead of me in that crawlway. All you can see is the people's shoes in front of you and mm-hmm. the soles of their feet. So. So off I went, I'm like, okay, well, if they're doing it, I can do this. And, you know, and I, I went in and um, at the time, I think I ended up getting the flu on my very first trip in 93 into, into Riverbend Cave anyways. And um, I ended up being sick for a couple of weeks after that. I kind of oh, was getting wow. sick on my way in. And I was, but I was super nervous too. And mm-hmm. at the time it was kind of as a teaser for the guy that was running the company to see if I wanted to, you know, come and maybe be a cave guide. Yeah. And at the time it was just like, I wasn't ready for that. I just wasn't ready yet. And, uh. Uh, 94 came around and I, I, I did some other stuff and, um, I was working in restaurants and things myself as well. And, uh, around the winter of 94, um, the fellow that had taken me caving the first time he, cause he knew I had been doing a lot of rappelling and stuff like that. And he's like, Hey, you know what? We're going to start teaching rappelling there. You know, you think you want to maybe want to come back and take part in this and do the cave guide training and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I will. I think yeah. I'll give it a shot, you know. And I was still a little nervous of caves at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went for it, and I just started learning more about the caves and going in. It's like, okay, just kind of sucking it up. And it's like, all right, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And um, along somewhere in my staff training, there was a little uh, cave nearby, a little secret cave that we went to that was outside the park, and it was like a little side trip. And my first time into it, I was way overdressed. I didn't know. Mm. I mean, I had too many layers on. I was hot. I was confined. The cave was actually quite small, and we were there six of us, so I kind of let the others go ahead, and I only went about maybe halfway in, and that was enough for me my first time, uh, but it also taught me, hey, I'm way overdressed. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, this is super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So the next time I went back, I was better dressed and more appropriately dressed, and, and I went back, and I went a little further. I thought, oh, that's cool. This is probably mm-hmm. the end, but this is cool. All right, I'm going to head back out, and then I'm like, well, I don't know. Some time passed. I'm like, I'm going to go back there again. That's just a neat place. You know, I've got some time off. And so I went to where I thought was the end, and I went a little further. And I thought, oh, that's not the end. It goes up around this corner. Oh, oh. there's all these cool formations here. That's really awesome, these crystal formations. Whoa. And there's roots coming down from the surface above that had crystal all over them. It mm-hmm. looked like a big thing of spaghetti or something, but it was all crystal. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. And there's cool. stalactites and stalagmites and soda straws. It was really awesome. Wow. And it was a contorty passage. You had, to, you had to be very careful not to break things and, uh-huh. and knock things down. So... I think I'd been in maybe um, three, maybe it was about my fourth time in. Um, I had gone, 
So I think it was maybe my third time, actually, I had gone to what I thought was the back of the cave, and it actually stopped. I stopped about 15 feet short mm -hmm. because it just looked like a wall. And I thought, ah, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. This is cool. This is nice stuff. You know, I came here. This must be the cave. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to head back out, and I headed out. And then my fourth trip in, I came back again. I'm like, well, you know, I see that end wall that I thought was the end. It's like, well, I'm just going to go right to that wall, and I'm just going to go, you know, touch the wall, really yeah, get to the very yeah. end. And to my surprise, what I hadn't seen on my third trip is what looked just like a wall. It turned out there was sort of a hidden ledge there that I just couldn't see from my perspective, and oh. the cave kept going. The cave only went another 60 or 70 feet, but it uh, went down to some really pretty stuff. And um, this this floor that was kind of a flat area with you know pools, little pools and stuff, and it was just completely silent. Wow. So... Um, but there was kind of a hallway. Everything kind of tapered back to to a hall, like a wedge of cheese almost. And oh, yeah. in the very back, as I'm kind of going up this, this slope and it's all getting narrower and narrower, I see, well, there's like, there's a pool. There's a little, this little crystal pool of water. And I say, maybe, you know, head width, maybe if you turn sideways, almost body width to mm -hmm. get in. Um, and, but as I, as I approached this pool, it was just the right time of year. It was full of water and it was full. It was that teal aquamarine beautiful color oh. like you would see in a magazine or a book about caves and yeah. it's just so beautiful and there was rims of crystal along the edge of the pool where you could see the, the depth had fluctuated there was a, a candle uh, stick thickness long stalactite hanging down and where it had touched the water and sat in that water for thousands of years it grew a crystal ball oh. about a three or four inch diameter about a three inch diameter i'd say like a crystal shard of crystal just coming oh, like a like a spike club dude, off the end of the so thing magical, hanging man. above that pool it was so magical to me because at that point i still had some nervousness about caves mm -hmm. And I would still feel a little awkward about crawling into holes where I couldn't see stuff. But after that, like, it, it actually just, it lit me up inside like a lighthouse. I, I have no other way to describe it, but it just lit me up inside. And it took, if you could picture a toggle switch and like one side of the toggle switch is total fear and paranoia. Yeah. And the other side is like completely, this is awesome. Uh -huh. I was still somewhere in the middle fluctuating and this just slammed it over to this is completely oh, awesome oh wow, man and i was hooked i the hook was set i was done i was i was in i was a caver and i had to keep doing this after that exploring around the park exploring areas if i found any kind of hole that might be a cave i'd be like i you know i might have a buddy with me or whatever but mm -hmm. i'm like my <laughs> yeah. my thought and i've said it many times man if i get stuck pull my ankles yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, gotta, my I gotta ankles. see what's in there yeah oh, i gotta wow, see what's in there I gotta, I gotta see you know like, yeah. is there gonna be is, is that magical thing gonna be there is mm -hmm. am i gonna get that reward again yeah yeah so it's, exactly. it's reward right mm -hmm. um and it's a i would say like i've been in an environment where they try to create this like artificial like reward right where yeah. it's like oh we need you to do work you're not doing work okay let's like incentivize you with the movie let's incentivize you with like uh you know a game and like these very like surface level rewards but there's like you find like these those two moments you talk about the high line and then with the caving like there are those moments that like make you feel alive like the most intense high highs of your of your life right like mm. <clears throat> and that 
that's like that real world change, that intrinsic change, right? Where you just like unfold and get to learn about yourself. That's the stuff that you like read about in a story or a movie. And it's the reality that we all get to live. Yeah. Right. Through our own, our own experience. And it's beautiful because like you face that discomfort, not because you have to, right. Which is often our relationship with things mm -hmm. when we're trying to improve or trying to yeah. get more out of life, right. Mm -hmm. Figure ourselves out. But like, no, like organically, there's this reward that you have that's so powerful yeah. that it makes all of that discomfort worthwhile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. I man. think I haven't skydived. I would. My mm -hmm. dad did when, when before I was born. So I, you know, I had photographs of him and stuff. Oh. I always thought, you know, and my brother was in the airborne and stuff. But, but it, it's just I see it sort of a similar way. It's like at first it's like you're not going to do that, but then mm -hmm. you, but then the reward becomes so worthwhile that mm -hmm. that it far outweighs the risk or the often it's the perceived risk. Yeah. So and I've I've done you know a fair bit of risk management training obviously mm -hmm. along the way in my whether through uh, guiding or, or advanced first aid or, or various other things. There's a lot of stuff I've done in the adventure field. So there's been a lot of risk management and mm -hmm. risk management training. And um, so, and something that we're super aware of is that there is actual risk yep. and there's perceived risk. So people look at caving as they perceive it as something super extremely dangerous and hard and technical. The actual risk is not as severe as the perceived risk. Mm. Uh, and we do, we take every step, especially guiding professionally and guiding. I got Hornley Caves today. You can go there and they have standard operating procedures that have been there for more for probably, uh, well, I think they're, they're probably approaching at least 28 years now. Wow. Well, almost 30 years that they've been operating. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, who knows how they've changed. It's been a while. I think the last time I did any guiding there was like uh, maybe 2006. But... Um, just as well there are we have standard operating procedures we have risk management procedures we have safety procedures we keep everybody on belay we do everything we can to mitigate that risk so that um you know so that people just aren't hopefully are not going to get hurt mm -hmm. and generally they don't i mean occasionally occasionally there might be a twisted ankle or a sprain or something fairly minor but mm -hmm. definitely you don't want to have anything major and yeah. it's certainly environments that you can absolutely die in mm -hmm. Uh, somebody takes the wrong turn, goes in without rope, falls off an edge. Mm -hmm. uh, people have died in caves, and that's uh, especially in British Columbia. That that um, ended up resulting in the formation of British Columbia Cave Rescue, which is then combined with Alberta. Mm -hmm. So it's the BC and Alberta Cave Rescue now, and uh, because of deaths that happen, and so. Uh, we learn from every accident, from every negative thing that happens. We learn and take those lessons forward and share them and try to make things safer, mitigate risk better, mm -hmm. um, you know, be safer while we're still exploring and, yeah. and being out there on the edge. And I think for me, um, I have a particular love. I just really enjoy uh, technicality of rope work. Um, the... Um, the control, I suppose, the responsibility mm -hmm. that it has. Like I'm, I'm in control of my life. Um, so, like I grew up on a farm and a little bit of chaos in my family and sort mm -hmm. of a, a combined family. And there was some some rough stuff that that went on there and some abusive situations and some and a lot of chaos. Uh, my parents would often fight and they eventually got divorced when I was 16. But there was a lot in that environment that I couldn't completely control. But mm -hmm. I found with the rope stuff, that's something I could control. Mm. 
that's something I could go. And it, I, it was me and my responsibility to set my anchor, to set up my rope, keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more I did that, the more I kind of got hooked on it and the more I enjoyed doing it. And that was a place where I felt like, oh, I've got my freedom. I've got my control here. Mm-hmm. And this is something you know, I, I wasn't cognizant of that at the time. But yeah. as I looked at that later, mm-hmm. I fully realized, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that's where I had safety. That's where I had control. Yeah. So that's been like an area of personal mastery mm-hmm. that I've strive for. And I still I continue to this day. I have 37 years of experience, but I am always open to learning new things, practicing, trying new things. Mm-hmm. New gear gets developed, new techniques get developed, whether I'm with an organized group or not. And mostly I haven't been in this last 10 years. I've been pretty much on my own, except for with the grotto, cave grotto and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you just, uh, you learn as you go um, and, and figure out how to mitigate risk and, uh, and keep yourself safe. But there, there's an empowerment there. Mm. I think that this is a, when we were chatting before, this is something that's really key. And I think what's, what's really important to me, I, I mentioned to you talking about um, at a time I, I thought, well, you know, hey, I really want to do body, mind, spirit healing work. Mm-hmm. And I see adventure as a, as a therapy yeah. and, and stuff. And um, what, I've, what I've observed in myself and in other people, too, especially people that have come through difficulties, mm-hmm. stress, abuse, hard environments, Um, when I start teaching them and training them to be empowered, to get on their harness, Mm -hmm. to how to set up a rope, how to repel, how to actually move themselves, how to actually do things and go places on their own. Yeah. There is this accomplishment of, of conquering a cliff, Mm -hmm. you know, going a place where nobody else can go. Yeah. Um, going into a cave, a canyon or whatever, even Mm -hmm. just repelling off of a, you know, or out of a tree. I mean, there's anywhere where you're pushing your boundaries and pushing your limits. Um, can potentially be empowering. And so learning these skills was empowering for me. It, it gave me um, an opportunity that I, where I had power, I had control. You know, I couldn't control what my parents were doing. I couldn't control what my brothers and sisters were doing, but I could control my rope. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I yeah. could control where I went. Uh-huh. I could control how I got down, you know, for the most part. And, um, and just kept going. And then um, it was in, uh, yeah, in 87, uh, when I did that Tyrolean Traverse Highline, that that you know, I just sort of, I just kept kept my interest up, and I just kept going, and mm-hmm. I just kept building bit by bit. Um, I started climbing. Uh, from there, I'd been climbing for a while. I was taking friends out, you know, just oh, to go wow. out rappelling and stuff out at the lake. So we'd mm-hmm. go for a bike ride and go for a rappel. And, oh, that's cool. And I had a you know a couple times, various times, I've had other people, friends that were going through whatever stress or trauma or depression mm-hmm. or whatever, and I'd take them out in the woods and I would see them light up. Mm. I would start showing them nature. I'd start showing them beautiful patterns on the rock, the lichens, and just being present in nature. Oh, that's beautiful. And I would see their fixation with their problems i would see i would see them lose focus on that and oh. they would start paying attention to the environment and they start coming alive hmm. and the stress and anxieties that they were shelled in and stuck in their problems that they've been ruminating on in the internally mm-hmm. start to kind of drop away a little bit mm-hmm. now sure when we when we leave the environment we get back home when yeah those things will come back but mm-hmm. at the same time You've now had this experience. Well, there was something else that captivated your attention. Hmm. There was something else that got your your inspiration going, at least for a few minutes, mm-hmm. at least for a few moments, or maybe a few hours or days, or maybe it maybe it just blossoms into a lifetime. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, it's uh, 
that place has been a place of, of personal mastery for me. So back to your question though, is what is, what is canyons? Uh, canyons. Mm -hmm. So um, on Vancouver Island, there weren't a lot of slot canyons. There are definitely, mm -hmm. I found canyons that are, that have slots. I mean, mm -hmm. they're there. Yeah. They are there. They're just, you know, and there's a different rock that they go through. Oh, there's really? limestone and there's some sandstone and stuff, but the majority there um, are gorge canyons. So uh, where creeks and rivers have been coming down, carving down through from mountainsides. Mm -hmm. uh, this one particular one, uh, I guess my biggest accomplishment on Vancouver Island was Boston Creek Canyon, which oh. we did the first descent of the lower third in 1998. Mm -hmm. And in total, it's about two miles of canyon and drops about 1,500, 1,600 feet. Ooh. And um, it is a pretty awesome canyon. That's it's a, it's cool. a, an incredible gorge canyon. Mm -hmm. And back when I was first doing this, I didn't know. All I was seeing online and in magazines was slot canyons in the southwest. So yeah, I'm thinking, that's, that's all I've ever really seen. Yeah. But here I'm like, well, I'm in this gorge, and I'm like, I'm going to follow these waterfalls down. I'm going to do all this stuff. Wow. Wow. And it was it was pretty awesome. There was like some twenty some odd rappels on uh, various jumps and swims. You, um, and so, like when you're doing these rappels or um, when you're rappelling, for instance, what are yeah. some of the challenges that you have with the rappelling? Do you have to like because the anchors already is mostly predefined, right? Well, um, first ascents and stuff like that. No, that canyon, that particular yeah. one, had a lot of trees around. So, mm -hmm. when possible, we'd use trees. Oh. If there wasn't trees, we'd use uh, the rocks. Sometimes there'd be like a log from a down tree that would be like jammed into a pool. Mm -hmm. So you'd be in the canyon and in a pool and at the top of a waterfall. But there'd actually be a log that was like really anchored in there, oh, wow. good, and we could just wrap some webbing around the raw log and use a wrap ring or a quick link to um, to repel off that and then mm -hmm. pull our rope. Um, or natural anchors, just making anchors with stone. Um, some of my first trips in, I actually did take in chalks, you mm -hmm. know, um, various size. Um, so by chalks, I mean uh, climbing protection. Yeah. Not chalk, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but like these, you know, wide, these wedges and, and different shaped objects that you could jam into cracks and stuff. So mm -hmm. um, I left a few of those behind my first my first season there, you know, just as, as anchors. And I made natural anchors in the rock and stuff. And uh, to this day, actually, we only I only had uh, put in, I think, uh, one or two pitons toward the bottom and only one bolt in the very final section. And the rest wow. of the canyon you can do naturally mm -hmm. from trees and just making anchors off of everything. Um, That's cool. It's a really a good canyon. Um, it gets steeper and deeper as you go. The farther you go, oh, the deeper really? and the bigger. That's cool. The final, the final series has a 150-foot walled slot Ooh. section with uh, four waterfalls in total. Wow. And uh, then from there, you can walk out like another couple hundred yards to get out at Comox Lake. That's um, cool. So that one, um, it's the only one still to this day that I've published uh, or have any kind of publication on. And it's because mm -hmm. other people contacted me for information about it. And first we put it in the Canyoneering Northwest website. And now there's Rope Wiki yeah. uh, online and then the Canyoneering Northwest so if anybody looked up Boston Creek, it, it says actually in the in the beta it isn't correct. It says it was first ascent was two thousand three. Mm -hmm. Nah, <laughs> first ascent was ninety eight. Yeah, uh, winter of ninety. We didn't get in in ninety nine at all because the winter of ninety eight was an exceptionally big snowpack. Really, and a huge huge melt off all that summer. The summer of ninety nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, was was a lot of water flow, so there was so much flow, and I was busy doing other things, caving yeah. and stuff. I just didn't get back in there in '99. Oh wow! 2000 though, we went back and we finished the whole canyon, Whoa. and then we just started from there, and we just kept on going, That's kept going so back, cool, man. doing sections of it, taking our friends in, 
um, repeating it. Um, by the time I left Vancouver Island, I don't know, I'd, I'd probably done the descent more than 20 times. The, Whoa. The Bubble Canyon. That's and then parts wild. of it a whole bunch of times, too. Um, and it, just because it was so spectacular. But there's a lot of, I mean, there was other, another canyon up the, up the lake, another one called Beach Creek. There's the Comox Glacier was up mm. there. I mean, there was just wow. so much stuff. And so, like, just the, from the, I guess, from the water element of it, is there, like, some curiosity with you where you're like, I wonder what this, what the whole path of this waterway looks like, and can I, like, see it? Is that? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, like it's magical. Anybody that goes and you hike up a stream and you find a waterfall, you find these little nooks and grottos that are just pristine and pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool. But then, like, you get into a place where, I mean, you're not seeing it. You're not, there was no anchors. There's no sign of rope, no sign that wow. any other human had ever done what we were doing down that canyon. So that was, that's a pretty cool thrill. That's cool. And, and also just the, the challenge, the technical challenge, uh, the risk of the adventure mm-hmm. of going and doing a first descent. Mm-hmm. So when we did first descents, we took, I mean, we took everything in almost the kitchen sink too. Like we had, we had static rope. We had, just in case we had to rock climb out, we took a rack of gear just in case we had to climb out. We took a dynamic rope with us just in case. Um, I took, you know, I had the only bolt kit I had was actually a caving bolt kit at the time, which was for uh, softer for limestone and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I attempted a bolt in there, but the rock was way too hard. I was getting sparks off every hit. Oh I pounded it for like 10 or 15 minutes. I mushroomed out the hardened steel bit. Oh, jeez. Gave that up. <laughs> uh, so the eventual bolts, the one bolt we put in the final series crux, uh, where you pretty much had to, um, you know, you could rebel half your rope and then put a bolt. Yeah, I had one bolt we'd go off of. We hand drilled that into extremely, extremely hard base, basement rock. Wow. Like this is harder than, harder than granite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the deep, deep bottom basement oh. mantle rock Whoa. that underlies the island. It's super heavy and dense. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first was, like, I was using a hardened steel bit, uh, Petzl spits from these self-drives, meant for sandstone, meant for limestone. Mm-hmm. I thought, it's probably not going to go in here, but I'm going to try. I just want to see what would happen. Every hammer hit against the bit, there were sparks coming off the hardened steel bit and the rock. I pounded for about... About 10 minutes. Yeah. And I got about two, mil- two, three millimeters into the rock and it mushroomed my hardened steel bit. <laughs> I saved that bit somewhere in my collection of stuff. Yeah. I still have that thing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm not sure exactly where right now, but I, I saved that thing because I try to save little mementos yeah. like that. It's nice to look back on. Yeah. So anyway, we eventually came back with three eighths, uh, you know, rock drills. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one bolt we placed, we two of us took turns pounding for about 50 minutes, Whoa. five, zero minutes, almost an hour. Holy and crap. We were placing a two and three quarter inch bolt. I think we settled with um, with about a two inch hole. Uh huh. And um, these days, when I set my bolts, I always drill the bolt uh, the hole actually deeper than the length of the bolt. Oh, okay. So that I can later sink the bolt, and it also allows you to get the most amount of bolt into the hole oh, when you tension sense. it. Okay. So we had some some stud bolt yeah. of the bolt sticking out, but yeah. we we're like, hey man. <laughs> That's not going anywhere, exactly. anywhere yeah. at all. So um, hard rock. Yeah. Man. So that was it. So we only ever put one bolt. We would just repel off that single mm. one. But we just knew like that's that sucker's in there. Yeah. Wow. So now it's been it's been over ten years uh, since I've been there. I was just telling one of my friends about that, and he's like, "Oh man, I really want to go there someday." Yeah. Just because he's another canyoneer, and he's like, uh, 
hey, I really want to go see. I want to see what a, what a bolt looks like after 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. there. No, actually, it's been more than 10 years. It's been uh, 98. I placed, I placed, no, no, I placed that one in, uh, yeah, actually in 98. Wow, or, 22 uh, years. Or was it 2000? I don't know. Anyway, it's been, it's been a long oh, time. Wow, yeah. That's yeah, 22 rad. years. So um, I'm only assuming it's still, yeah. still there, but who knows? Do you, when you rappel over like waterfalls and stuff, and you're having in these like um, these uh, C class C situations, yeah. Um, how does the water flowing on to because you're the water's flowing on to you, right? Sometimes, yeah. How does that affect the dynamics of rappelling? Like, it's not you're not just like lowering yourself down the rope. There's more to think about. There's here, a right? lot more to think about. Yeah, when you get into the flow of water, so. You think about if you're on a dry place and there's no water flow, yeah. It's just a matter of managing. You have a descender that creates friction and you use your your hands that the friction takes up a lot of the weight of your body. So Mm -hmm. with your hands, you're only holding maybe 20, 30 pounds of pressure at most to control your descent. So um, it's not like you're just going hand over hand. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to control. Um, and so, oh my God, you're fine. <laughs> remind me of your question again. Um, what is it like when you're having to oh, introduce in water. the water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So you add the dynamic of water and now you've got, um, water obviously has a lot of force, has a lot of weight to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in water, obviously there's, there's a haz- hazards of water or drowning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, drowning is a pretty big hazard. Yeah, you have to watch your face, too. If, you got to oh, watch your wow. face, things like that. Um, I had one instance where I was rappelling down a, a waterfall in a corner, kind of off a rounded boulder. Mm-hmm. I slipped, and my feet went up, went actually not out from under me. They went up oh. from under me. And I ended up uh, hanging upside down with a pack on. And with my leg, actually it was my left leg, was entrapped by the rope. And I'm upside down, and there's oh water gosh. flowing over me. Unfortunately, oh. I could still breathe, but it was still a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and my buddy at the <laughs> time, I'm looking up, and I'm I'm maybe uh, 10, 12 feet below him, and I still have another uh, 10, 12 feet of just rock that I'm head head first painting towards. And I see oh, yeah. he's got a he's got a pestle spar with a knife on his harness, and I see him reaching for his knife. And I'm like, you do not cut yeah. that rope. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you cut that rope, I'm I'm dead. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm, yeah, Damn, that's the end. Pale. So it's like well, we have to figure out a different way. Mm-hmm. So he kind of levered the rope, and I did everything I could, and ultimately I I was able to work at it and get my leg unpinched. Um, that was a pretty powerful lesson. Wow. Um, just the way I was rappelling there, the fact that I had a backpack on that gave me extra mm-hmm. weight on my back, and that that made so that when I did slip, I kind of mm-hmm. fell backward with the weight on my pack. Yeah. So lesson learned there is to not repel in the flow with a pack on, mm-hmm. or at least in a, in any significant flow. So these days with my pack, I have a lanyard that's always attached to my pack with a carabiner on my on my pack strap. And if I feel like I need to drop my pack, or if I'm going to go into a flow, mm-hmm. I just clip that to my to my harness. I drop my pack, so my pack actually hangs down beneath my feet, mm-hmm. and then the water will will hit me or go over my body. Uh, we'll actually, if we're going to repel and flow, we'll often use like a ball cap. Okay. Or yeah. a brimmed helmet. Usually a ball cap is a really good idea because mm-hmm. um, actually I wear glasses. So number one, I'm helping to keep the glasses on my face, you know, protect that from getting swept off. Yeah. But the other thing that it does is it creates an airspace. Oh. So that if you have a lot of flow around you, I mean, and it can be just the flow of yeah. water. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, not a lot of oxygen in there. So you got to have an airspace to breathe. Um, white so, rafters did they're like whitewater rafters yeah, yeah there's that. a lot of whitewater rafter okay. helmets you'll see with those brims on them and um and that's why 
if you're going to be in flow, you'll see you, often you'll see canyoneers with uh, if it's like significant flow, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to hopefully take those steps. Um, so the hazards of, of repelling in water, okay, drowning, um, but back injury can be major. So if people have repelled with packs on, gone mm-hmm. into flow. Mm-hmm. And they not thought about what happens when they have that pack on. Well, it's already enough force when the water's hitting you. First of all, you're suspended from your waist. Mm-hmm. So your heart attachment is at your waist. And so when water hits you, naturally, it's going to want to bend you backwards. Mm, yeah. But imagine now you've got a big backpack on and it's already got weight in it. Maybe water gets into it. And now that water is hitting you and it's hitting your pack. Oh, wow. And it's forcing you and shoving you down so much so that your back and spine can't necessarily hold that up. Oh. So people have had back injuries, disc injuries, all kinds of... There's been fatalities repelling that way as yeah. well. So uh, it's super important uh, to obviously <laughs> reduce the chance of injury if you're going to be repelling in flow. Mm-hmm. So I assess, you know, as a certain flow amount of water that I feel comfortable in. Yeah. And it might be more, you know, everybody's got their different limits. Yeah, they do. Some people will see the flow that I'll go in and they're like, I'm not doing that. And then I see the flow that some people go in and it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Know, I've got my comfort level. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to stick with my comfort level. So my comfort level is pretty high. I can, you know, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in whitewater and, and stuff like that. In fact, I almost, um, I take it as a challenge. I almost have certain mm. fun if I get, because uh, I like to... Uh, when I have the opportunity, I do like to kind of push the extremes. And yeah. the as long as I'm with other people that are also competent, safe, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, generally, and from my perspective in general, as a guide or just adventuring with my friends, mm-hmm. uh, I still will only go as far as whoever is the slowest or the yep. least capable. Um, basically, kind of like the Marines, I'm not going to leave anybody behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make sure... You know that um yeah i just want to make sure everybody's okay that everybody gets out that's reflective um, i don't want people to have a negative experience so much so that they get discouraged from adventuring mm-hmm. so it's super important to uh, support that be careful be safe um you know learn what you can do to mitigate risk and to uh reassure people um and you know talk about talk about the hazards up front and stuff um mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm just kind of thinking in my mind now i'm going back to uh to cave guiding and just uh my own experience with caves you know i like i said i was afraid of the dark i was afraid of heights i i remember seeing my first thing on tv about caves on vancouver i don't know it was maybe 11 or 12 mm-hmm. and i remember my mom and i both watched that and we were like oh man i was thinking oh claustrophobic mm-hmm. i felt claustrophobic yeah. i don't know if i'd want to do that you oh, know yeah. Yeah. Something's pretty weird. Like I'm intrigued by caves, you know, like big open caves. But I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to crawl through stuff. Yeah. That's really scary. <laughs> so that, that was my perspective of it. And at the time, I didn't even know that there was very many caves on Vancouver Island. I heard oh. Oh, seven or eight or nine or ten caves. Yeah. Well, it turns out that there's thousands. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, that's so beautiful, though, um, if I could put it in the perspective of like, you know, we all have things that we're really afraid of. We all have, like, some level of trauma, right, mm-hmm. in some way, um, some dysfunction that we work with, and, like, all those narratives that go on inside of our head. And it's mm-hmm. really hard to, like, just take any one of your heart, like, per anyone's personal hardship. To be able to move through that challenge or through that moment in your life is, like, really hard. But when you get to the other side, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like at best, it's really beautiful and it's, it can be ecstatic. Yeah. And I like look at you and it's like, huh, you're just like, you like to shepherd people. From, yeah. from one place to the other and it was done to you and there's like you realize that there's like some level of responsibility on your shoulders to like provide the most like open but like guided experience that you can yeah that's yeah I kind of um I call it yeah I, a sheep dog yeah yeah um and uh-huh. I uh, I mean, funny enough, I grew up on a sheep farm and, you know, we had sheep dogs and stuff and, they huh. would, you know, border collies and such that would just naturally have this instinct to, um, to, to corral the sheep and mm-hmm. to like keep, keep them all in check and stuff. I mean, we've actually had dogs that we didn't, hadn't even officially trained and they just had the instinct so much Whoa. that we could just work with them really quickly, mm-hmm. be able to work with the dog. And it's just pretty phenomenal. And so I have that kind of instinct about yeah. about guiding and stuff and, and sheepdog and I've always been like a caretaker. I like uh, you know looking. I've been a property manager. I've looked after provincial parks mm-hmm. um, wow. and looked after people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know our our thing, our motto for guiding was uh, essentially our our task was to keep caves safe from people and mm-hmm. people safe from caves. Oh wow! And um, it's always important to do both. You know, and then if I'm in a canyon, you know, I'm not so concerned about people harming the canyon, but I definitely mm-hmm. want to keep people safe. Yeah, exactly. I want to empower people. I love to see um, people, especially that have been through trauma and abuse. I love to see them healing. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, one of the most beautiful things I have seen, more beautiful than the most beautiful sunset, is somebody healing. Mm-hmm. Somebody healing trauma where mm-hmm. you're actually witnessing their pain but also witnessing their some spark of growth you see that there's this moment where they're like healing something Mm -hmm. and i've been very blessed in my life that i've been able to witness that a few times at least a few times and um that's one of the most awesome things to Mm -hmm. me that inspired me to also as i mentioned wanting to do the body mind spirit stuff and and things so and we just. Ah, so you have like twenty more minutes. <laughs> and then can we go to the store, please? Because we have to do the exercise stuff to get. Okay. I poop, pee, and then I went to. <laughs> the body, mind, spirit. Body, mind, spirit. So, um, you know, I, I, I see empowerment. Uh, I mean, again, I, I came through through difficult things, uh, many things in my life, and um, you know, I've I've gotten through them. In part, I've gotten through them by continuing to do the adventure that I've done. Mm-hmm. Even in this last 10 years, I've been through uh, injuries and accidents and traumas and times where I, I didn't know if I'd ever cave again. I didn't know if I'd be able to climb oh, again, all so these other far. things. But yet, I, I managed to manage to keep going and healing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a interest in, you know, people uh, healing from abusive things, too. And I, I like to... I like to heal animals when I'm able or yeah. people of trauma. Like uh-huh. one of my uh, my friends had a, had a little dog who's now passed away, but he had been beaten by her ex and, and traumatized, and he was so afraid of males. Oh. When I first met him, he wouldn't want anybody male around. If I even touch him once, he'd I'd just touch him, he'd yap, and he'd run away. And it kind of worked on from then. I just kind of, he wouldn't be looking, and I'd pet him a little bit, and then he'd see it was me, and he'd ah, snarl. <laughs> And it went from that to I kept working on him. I kept working on him. I kept giving him love, giving him patience. And then it went from that to a dog who would follow me around. And he would, 
I'd pick him up and I'd put him on my chest and he would lay back and I would rub him. And if I stopped rubbing him with both hands, he'd he'd lean back and look at me like, Let, put your phone down. You're supposed to be paying attention to me. <gasps> and yeah. um, after a while, like the vet that he'd been going through, they'd like, what's happened to him? He's such a, he's a different dog now, you know, after spending oh, some years. And when he eventually gosh. passed away, he's, oh. yeah, it, it, it healed. I'd kind of helped to heal his his yeah. his his harm and his abuse and before he moved on as a cat that i live with right now that was very similar um the person's ex had abused oh. the cat could barely touch the cat oh. it would hiss and run away and um i've known this cat now for about five years and just in the last year and a half or so to two years last year and a half i can now pet the cat and now the cat actually purrs for me it used to have oh. spasms and pain. We actually give the cat a bit of CBD too. But, oh, nice! Um, uh, in the last six to eight months, no more spasms and pain. Cat likes petting now. It purrs. It loves. It, it's oh, it's wow. become a different thing. It's no yeah. longer. It no longer has those traumas and those fears mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's just from patience, patience, giving it love, giving it patience, just being, just continually being consistent. Mm. Giving it consistent support. That consistency is really important. And so I and I, I basically, in my heart, I kind of want the best for all beings. Yeah, it's always how I've looked at it in a philosophical way and spiritual way. Is that I, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that if somebody tries to tries to attack me, mm-hmm. that I won't defend myself exactly. with whatever force necessary. Mm-hmm. Of course, but in general. You know, I in my heart, I just want want the best for people and things, and that also includes a good experience. And yeah. for me, that good experience became exploring when I was a kid, going for drives and logging roads up into the hills with my dad, and seeing streams and waterfalls and cool stuff, and hiking into old growth forests that oh. no longer exists even, but yeah. I got to see when I was little when it was still there, and um, and just the magic and reward from that, you know. And so as I as I would, as I was growing up, and I would explore the woods, and I'd find something really cool, then I'd want to show somebody. I'd like, oh, mm. share. I'd share the beauty with my mom or my dad or my friends or, or whatever, and they'd be like, oh wow, yeah, that's really cool. You oh know? really? Then, wow. And you know, and that just became sort of a, an addiction for me too, is yeah. uh, in a way too. Um, it was very fulfilling. Mm. Uh, partly as me like living my my experience like my joy mm-hmm. i guess and my own you know participating with my own thing that i'm working to master which at the time was rope stuff which i, I still work on you know mm-hmm. it's my it's my passion mm-hmm. uh and and um you know um and all that but and you like get into this cycle where it's like oh okay you like find your yourself um find comfort in mm-hmm. your own skin in these experiences and then you get to the point to where like enough order and then you can bring other people because you see the value you know yeah of the situation yourself and you want to share that with people yeah yeah and then now now i got one for you mm-hmm. someone did that for you or people did that for you you came into it and mm-hmm. you emerged and then you did that for other people have you done it for yourself hmm. how to put that let's see well if i follow that question <laughs> i think uh I think I've, I'm learning to. I've I've been learning to along the way, and that is part of the journey of healing, mm-hmm. of trauma, abuse, of anything else. Yeah, that is I think part of it, and I think that there are different levels of that, mm-hmm. and I think that 
probably as one heals through stuff, they find a new level. Yeah. And I think that there can still be latent, uh, uh, yeah, self, self-esteem issues, mm-hmm. uh, disregard of the self, you know, feeling like you're maybe less important than other people or, mm-hmm. or of less value or of whatever. Um, but that solace has been, you know, well, I'm out in nature. I don't have any judgment of anybody else. I don't have mm-hmm. to have the judgment of myself. I can just be, I can be, I can exist. I don't have to feel my own problems and things. At least that's how it started initially mm-hmm. for me. Um, and now it's like, as I've gone through life, I, I, you know, there's definitely some issues that, yeah, I would cover up by adventure. Adventure mm-hmm. has become, you know, in a way is a bit of a drug, mm-hmm. is an escape mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, for me, however, it's become more than just an escape because it's also become the therapy. Mm-hmm. It's also become the salve, you know, the healing balm in a way. Um, and it doesn't cover everything, mm-hmm. but it's helped stabilize me enough and I guess balance me enough and kind of soothe me enough that I can then get to the next step of whatever it's got to be that I got to work on. Yeah. Which quite often has either been in a counselor's office or it's been on in some other self-reflection. It hasn't mm-hmm. all been on rope and stuff, but it's it's been all part of it for me, yeah. for sure. And so I absolutely have always seen the value, you know, and guiding wise um, over over the seasons of guiding. I mean, I saw thousands and thousands of clients mm-hmm. I have probably introduced repelling to. I don't know, somewhere between 1,500 1, oh, kids wow. and stuff, like school kids mm-hmm. over doing schools and then wow. plus all the adults mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, taking them all caving. So I've had the opportunity to see a lot of different reactions yeah. and stuff. And you were asking me a question a little bit back about, um, you know, how, well, just going through the fears, the mm-hmm. fears and all that stuff and, and then the rewards, the fear and the reward. So one of the funny things that, that we that we would notice uh, when we were doing school groups and taking them repelling mm-hmm. is quite often, you know, our rocks that so we had like a rock is 25 foot, 30 mm-hmm. foot. So but this one had an approach trail up. So from the bottom, it, you know, you're still coming up to this thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have boys and girls and stuff. And it was quite often more so than any of the girls. It was often one of the little boys that would be kind of cocky and he'd mm-hmm. be coming up and be Oh, that's what we're going to be on? That rock is puny. That thing's tiny. Oh, I can do that. This is nothing. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, it would be that kid that when you got him up to the edge, (laughs) their knees would be shaky. Be, would be shaking yeah. and they're wearing shorts and their socks are turning yellow mm-hmm. from the pee running down their leg yeah. and they're just terrified meanwhile Aww. the girls that they were teasing they get on there and they do 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 and they do it and they're yeah. and they're on it and for some of those kids uh they would come back and eventually become guides mm, right? wow and yeah and and to this day i mean there's probably guides there i don't know it's been a while since i've been there but there's probably at least one or two guides there that came there as kids and went through the programs and like, That's oh, I got to cool. do this and got inspired by that and mm-hmm. came back and worked as guides. I also know like full on pro cavers that have their own caving groups and do awesome exploration wow. around British Columbia, heli caving, everything. Mm-hmm. And their first Whoa. cave was Horn Lake Caves. Whoa. Yep. They That's were taken so through cool. on, a, on, a, on one of the underground adventure trips that oh, I guided their dude. first thing and they just got hooked after that, that. amazing so they go get their gear they learn more stuff they go to stuff and then they become cavers wow so 
you know, I don't know. I have no idea the actual number of people that have been inspired and, and have become cavers or have been inspired by adventure um, going through there. But I'm certain it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why. That's so cool, man. Yeah. That's like what I recognize in you is like I think I am starting to enter into that second phase where like now I'm like bringing people like as I've as I've gotten into martial arts and rock climbing and stuff. I've ascertained at least somewhat of the knowledge or networking or opportunity, whatever it is, to, like, share that. Yeah, and there's got to be a reward in there. And it, yeah, and that's right? where, like, I'm I'm learning a lot. I'm learning things that I had never known before. I'm, you know, encountering the unknown and learning and creating some order from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, like, I'm listening to you, and you're just, you have so much more, so much of that experience that I'm going to come up on in my own way. And it's so interesting listening to how you've organized that and, and what it's meant to you and affected your worldview. Yeah. You know, and if I can, if my experience, it's the way I look at it now. If my experience, if I can, if I can coach and support and train, train, you know, train and support coach, guide, teach, uh, consult, whatever it is, mm-hmm. pass that information on, share with people, uh, improve their skills and stuff, then... You know, I get the reward of seeing them um, also experience that and also mm-hmm. experience that reward, right? And so, you know, that that part that was a thrill and a, and a cathartic thing for myself, it's just like, wow, you know, I, I really gained something from that. And that was really awesome. I, that was so beautiful. And I share that with somebody else. And mm-hmm. I see that they also get lit up by it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that became something really special. It's like... You know, it's like if, I'm, if you're going to have a have a dinner party, you're going to have your your friends over. You're yeah. going you're gonna to make them the best meal you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you want to make them something yeah, tasty. Exactly. You want to make them something good, and nutritious, and mm-hmm. healthy, and stuff. You know, you're not going to go to the compost pile and dig through and find a bunch of worms and a bunch of crap and a yep. bunch of rotten food and just give them the, the crap. And you're not going to you're not mm-hmm. going to serve the crappiest thing to somebody. You want to give them, you know, the best experience that you can, mm-hmm. and you will generally feel a reward doing that you feel the joy of sharing yeah right you feel the joy of sharing joy Mm -hmm. right and so i feel like that with with doing these activities too with adventure and everything else Mm -hmm. and um i try to keep my eyes out like i mean i listen for people that come online to the grot cave grottos or the canyoneering things and they like like oh this looks so cool how do i get into this And um, there's a lot of people that are really active in it, but they're not necessarily so interested in teaching the newbies. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a really hardcore good group of, of canyoneers here in Washington State that have been canyoning probably within an eight-year span. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them have started kind of automatically, not, not fully realizing how many people were here canyoning before them. And oh, yeah. occasionally there's little bits of, hey, who are you? And it's like, oh, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen that, that play out actually mm-hmm. with Christopher Hagedorn, who I've, who I've been working for. He's been canyoneering here in the, in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. But then mm-hmm. he moved down. He's got a business. He's down in Utah a lot of time, all this stuff. And so some of the, and then he goes and he advertises something up here and then these new the local canyoners that haven't ever heard of him don't know who he is like, well who are you and what are you doing here this is our neighborhood this oh, is our neck yeah. of the it's like oh you guys don't even know you have no clue <laughs> but you know that gets worked out and um, right now I'm, I'm very proud of the uh, all these new adventurers that are out doing the first descents there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a good team of people that go out and they you know they're they're young they're healthy Mm-hmm. They go do first ascents all over. They're they're really increasing every year. We're getting more and more oh, wow. canyoning information, canyoning canyons that get accomplished in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and they're just growing and expanding it and i so on me on my sidelines i do everything i can to support those people Mm -hmm. um i do all i can to train skills Mm -hmm. coach skills Mm -hmm. uh once they've got their basic skills i'll teach them rescue skills Mm -hmm. you know i just want to I kind of just want to get people i want to get them as many tools in their toolbox yeah. as they can because mm-hmm. i want to make sure it's just like packing somebody for a journey say you're a parent and your Aww. kids going off to school where you just want to make sure that they got everything yeah. they need you know you want to make sure that they're going to have success mm-hmm. in their you future right success yeah you know and I, I hope many of those people will go on to do things far beyond what i've ever done but mm-hmm. if i can give them some skills along the way inspire some some stuff some some adventure whatever mm-hmm. and and just be a part of that and help that along the way then great yeah and um beautiful. You know, here i was telling you about I was, I was injured a number of years ago four years ago I, was, I had a pretty severe injury well first actually i'm on on uh tail end of a tree climbing injury still which happened in 2011 i'm still dealing with that with l and i and then i had another injury as well <laughs> but in any case so as i've gone through these things uh um, oh man, I'm losing my file. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, oh shoot, where was I at? Fine. Um, yeah, I jump around. As you've gone through these things, you've learned. Oh, what did I learn? Oh, hmm. anyway, hmm. that uh, um, like I, I guess just just overcoming uh, stuff and just keep keeping going. Yeah, um, and like learning from your mistakes and stuff like yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is so the. Is there anywhere that? Oh, well, wait. With canyoneering, before before we yeah, do yeah. wrap this up, but the with with canyoneering, you said that there's the rappelling over the waterfalls, yeah. and then there's um, and then you get to like walk and you get to experience all these areas. Actually, this summer we had a couple of parkour guys come with us out to, Whoa, to Thornton Creek. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. There's a couple of guys. There's a, a fellow named uh, named Rafi that that. Um, or Rafe, pardon me. Sorry, Rafe. Because <laughs> 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 I, I have another friend named Rafi, so I see the R A F E R E F E. That's Rafe. Anyway, um, sorry, I'm forgetting your movement thing now, Rafe. But uh, <laughs> anyway, he teaches parkour and stuff. And so these two guys came with us. They didn't. They had some rope, dynamic rope. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have the helmets and all the gear like we did. Yeah, we're all packed and geared up. But they were going ahead and parkouring ahead. And they would like do these jumps and do these things. Like, oh yeah, this pool's good. No, that one's that one's shallow. You can jump this. You can slide that. Whoa, which is pretty cool. It was it was great. So so you, there's an opportunity there where you could like you can jump into water features. You could like slide down different yes. things. Whoa. Yeah. Yes, oh, like yes. in like straight like natural water slide kind of deal. Absolutely, I didn't know that. Like oh. I always envisioned like here's the like the running the running joke that I didn't know that I knew wasn't true. But like yeah. you know, canyoneering is just rappelling over a waterfall. Yep. So and I'm like, well, that's still cool. It but is like, still cool. And then as I've like wa- I got into the canyoneering group here in Washington, and I was just watching your guys's like activity yeah. over the summer, and I'm like, wait a minute. I thought there were only two natural water slides in all the state of Washington. Then I think about it and I'm like, wait, the whole definition of like a slab, like, you know, stream or whatever and the moss that grows there, like that's a literal waterfall. So I wonder what's out there. Yeah. Well, if you've seen photos of Dingford Creek, uh, Dingford's first descent was in 2018. Uh, I got to be in the group. It was, I think, the fourth one down or something Mm -hmm. like that. Now I've, I've gotten... I'm up to 16 descents of Dingford now. Wow. Uh, my buddy Andrew's done 20. I think he's got the record so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. But uh, Dingford, and we've now got it all completely bolted, so we call it Seattle's Natural Water Park. Oh, that's um, cool. It's so fun. Really? It's so fun. Uh, oh. Slides and jumps and all kinds of stuff. 
Oh, cool. Um, and then uh, there's my... I've been watching, looking at Thornton Creek up on the, by New Halem mm-hmm. uh, for the last six, seven years. It's been my goal, my my wish to do the whole creek. Oh, yeah. I had only done just the lower parts of it before mm-hmm. for one reason or another, either a partner, you know, one time there was too much smoke and my friend had asthma, so we couldn't get up there. Mm-hmm. Another time we were just there a bit late, so we just did the lower bits or we just rappel in from the upper corner. You know, it's just a small section. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, we actually started from the very top and I got... Um, I did four descents this year, um, one at the normal kind of beta or the information on the canyon mm-hmm. or a little higher above that than I had been in the previous year. And I uh, did three full descents of the whole whole shebang. Whoa. And the entire descent takes um, – well, actually, no, I have not completed it in its entirety this year mm-hmm. because the upper to where we exit at the bridge, there's still three rappels past the bridge, but we've been up to oh. 10 hours to get to the bridge and usually by that point it's already dark or getting dark and oh we're gosh. also we're we're already done like we've mm-hmm. already done it at that point there's 17 rappels upstream Ooh. oh i don't know 20 slides multiple wow. jumps um and hours i mean hours of canyon um so that's cool. The slide sections are pretty phenomenal. There's one nice triple slide oh, that I got in. That was like the, the when I did this triple slide this year. It was mm-hmm. the funnest thing I'd done all year at the point. At that yeah. point, I used to get in and you do the slide, and the slide would take you down the chute and just up over the lip of another one. And you could just kind of and you just scoot up over that lip and do one more slide. It would take it's you to the really next lip, like that. and then you just drop down. And then there's the next one with a deep one, and you. Just and right down and into a pool of water. It, that's really how it's like? Whoa. Uh, okay, I promise you I'll take you to Thornton Creek next that, year. I didn't even know that you yeah. could do stuff like that. That's yeah. really cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, it's, it's awesome. That's yeah, it's phenomenal. It's not all it's not all repelling. It's yeah. down. There's a lot of down climbing, uh-huh. creek navigation, swims, floats. Oh. Um, Jumps, slides. Yeah. That's cool. Big slides, like stuff that you've got to like slide off and do like drop 10, 12, 15 <laughs> feet <laughs> what? into a pool. Wow. That sounds um, interesting. What? Well, yeah, actually. And when I, this is one particular one that I first <laughs> time I slid it this year, the, the uh, Rafe parkour dude, he's like, Hey, yeah, you can you can jump this one. And I'm like, I coming up to him I'm like, oh, when? <laughs> That's pretty good. He's yeah. like, well, are you gonna go? I'm like, he's gonna go, or can I? I'm gonna do this cartwheel. I'm like, uh-huh. you go for I'm it. Do this and he's up, yeah, man. And he's just like, he just does. He just does this cartwheel jump, cartwheel jump, and you know, flip a couple a couple of turns into the water down <laughs> below, about 15 feet down. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So> let's, <laughs> let's go. Um, oh, I've also had cool. a few injuries in that canyon yeah. this year. Actually, I'm, I'm 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 about to get an MRI tonight. Actually, at seven, I get an MRI on my on my right knee. Oh no! Yeah, uh, from Thornton this year, and um, I'm just booking a surgery for my for my oh, left oh. knee, oh. which is something that happened. A couple of things that happened in the last year yeah, and a half. Yeah. Wow! Does that so, come from? So is that like for the what happened in Thornton? Is that like um, happened from consistently canyoneering, or did that happen like an acute accident that happened and you like had injured that? Because in jujitsu um, you get this like, or yeah. free, it's hard to hold the fist sometimes in jujitsu. So like, yeah, yeah. So well, I I told you I haven't talked about this right here right now, but I mm-hmm. had mentioned to you uh, a fall that I had about four years ago. Yeah. Okay, where it was complacency. Mm-hmm. I just 
I didn't re-rig my rope the way I should have. I thought, oh, I'm only 18 feet up. It won't be so bad. And that ended up failing. And I fell. I had six rib fractures, oh, collapsed man. lung, had a chest tube, all kinds of stuff. Almost bled to death. Stuff like that. Uh-huh. Almost suffocated. That was, uh, that was a good wake up yeah. on a personal level. And I figured, hey, if it's uh, there's my one time in 30 some odd years of doing this. And I, okay, if I can go another 30 years without an accident like that, I'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was a really a, a good wake up. And I put myself in a situation when I wouldn't normally put other people in. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Um, my point to that, uh, which I, I hate to say I'm starting to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Thornton. Thornton. <laughs> injury. Thornton. Injuries. Oh, yeah. Injuries. Uh, yeah. So the injury. Okay. So was it a matter of like an acute accident mm-hmm. or what? And um, and why I'm bringing back that other story is because it kind of borders on this. It's mm-hmm. like risk taking. Yeah. Um, so I had one of my trips, my second to last trip this year. Actually, my last trip this year, I also had a slip and a fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it was again, I was approaching things. So my second, my the uh, the first thing that happened with my knees, um, there was two options to go. Four of us were in the canyon. Mm-hmm. My one of my friends went uh, to the right side of the canyon, and two of the other guys kind of helped themselves to the to the left. The left was definitely way more sketchy, mm-hmm. um, and the right definitely looked safer. But these guys had gone down, and I'm like. Part of me is I want to push, mm-hmm. I want to push the lim- my limits yeah. and my boundaries, and I want to kind of push the extremes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm kind of like first disco- first exploration, mm-hmm. so I'm like, this looks a little sketch. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to maintain this climbing down. But I start down climbing, and my friends, one guy's spotting me, and another guy's a little further back. And if I had two spotters there, I might have been better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it was, I slipped. Uh, and he tried to catch, he helped a little bit, but I ended up completely, uh, collapsing heel to mm. butt cheek, mm. my left leg, which, uh, mm. or my right leg, which doesn't normally go that way. Yeah. And then I kind of tumbled off that and ended up down on my, on my left leg. And that kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I had already had been diagnosed with a meniscus tear in my left. Oh yeah. Um, which I definitely have now in my right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so that was, that was unfortunate. Uh, I had mm-hmm. to analyze that. Okay. So I'm like, again, here, I took a, I took a risk. Now I, as I was saying, I've said this to many people, unnecessary risks lead to unnecessary consequences. Mm, yeah. Right? I like that. And so multiple times I've taken unnecessary risks and I've experienced the consequences. Mm-hmm. I could have avoided them if I didn't take that risk. I wouldn't have had to live through that experience yeah. of trauma or near death or whatever, or brokenness. Um, but so there's this little bit of a fine line between really being safe mm-hmm. and careful. And I am I try to be as safe as I can when I'm going down there. But there is this, this edge where um, I'm kind of pushing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this situation... I had to analyze. It's like how much of this was just me pushing to explore and how mm-hmm. much of it was peer pressure. Yeah. And I realized there's a little bit of both in there. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the wiser thing to, for me to do would have been to take the safer route over to the other side. But I was like, well, I'm going to try it. I'm mm-hmm. going to see. I just want to I want to see if I can do it. And it, it turned out I couldn't do it. <laughs> or it turned out I, it was it was uh, it was pretty sore. I uh, Nothing was broken. You know, I was That's able good. to still get out. I was just pretty sore. Mm hmm. But as a result, both both my knees are getting a lot sore hiking, so it's mm-hmm. uh, harder on treks these days. 
and uh, ultimately I'm, I'm getting booked for an orthoscopic surgery on my right, on my, pardon me, on my left knee first, uh, coming up pretty soon within the month. Mm-hmm. And then uh, hopefully I'll do the, the right knee, uh, you know, before the next season starts. Yeah. They say it takes like a month to recover. Oh, that's not that bad. So it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. And basically they clean up the tear and carve out a little bit of the arthritis and stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, should be good until oh, I good. eventually need a knee replacement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? The, um, but that, that's uh, that moment there and, mm-hmm. and how you go through that in your own mind and your own decision making. Yeah. Um, I For anyone who does not engage with risk, if it puts you off, I'd like people to like think about this or I try to think about this in that way. That like it actually intensifies your decision making. Like, or mm-hmm. it intensifies your awareness of your decision making because yeah. your decisions have more real consequences and there's more ambiguity because the responsibility goes onto your, your individual shoulders in those moments. Whereas in the day to day life, you can exercise some of that behavior and you might lose some friends or look like an mm-hmm. ass. You know what I mean? Whatever yeah. it looks like, the consequences aren't going to be as like um, intense. Yeah. If does that follow at all? Yeah, it, it does. Well, um, well, one thing but, that you had though, like to just to support that is, is you talked earlier about, um, you know, having the kids and you'd have that like that one boy, right, who'd be like, ah, oh, twenty five feet, like, yeah, yeah, oh, I got this, uh, and, and then, then his then, knees are knocking and he's peeing in the sock. Exactly. And yeah. but like <laughs> in school though, right, when you don't put them in that situation, that kind of behavior um, actually might be rewarded in certain situations. Although it's not ideal and not very positive, right? That's, um, yes, I think I follow that. And yeah. so I've had students who, so it's that. So when you're in these situations, you reveal a lot about your character um, by nature of the situation. And while yeah. I'm not saying like, you know, get injured or learn kind of thing, I find it in the the emotional realm where it causes you to think about that a lot more because you have more choices and they're more visceral choices. Yeah. And just to back that up a little more even is I saw the limitations when I'm teaching these children, like, you know, who have emotional and behavioral disorders. Mm -hmm. It was like, I would be like, you know, (laughs) hey, don't be mean to to this girl, right? Because like doing, making fun of her makes you feel better, but that's not a good thing to do. I would tell them that in these very abstract concepts. But when I would take that boy, because the reality is I could, I could tell the girl, listen, mm. he's targeting you because he feels really scared and mm. he feel has, you know, low self-worth and very mm. insecure and like blah, 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 blah. And um, I could take that boy, though, and I could say, I've never done this in a professional setting, uh, but we can go tree climbing. And you know what? You know who's going to have a really hard time and is going to need a lot of help and support or going to be angry, one of them? It's that boy. Yeah. And, like, I don't have to explain anything. I get just completely wordless. It all plays out right in front of me. Yeah. So what I was thinking, what I gather from kind of what you're saying there, like, there is definitely between, say, for example, the kid, male, female, whatever, Mm -hmm. probably more typically is going to be the male. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just our general energy. Uh Um, the one that's teasing the girls going, oh, oh yeah, you're going to be, a, yeah, I can mm-hmm. do this, blah, blah. And then they end up, you know, peeing themselves and knocking their knees. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that experience is humbling. Yeah. And it's a blessing that they go through that experience because if they didn't go through that experience, they might be this, this kid that's teasing everybody and not aware of the consequences. Mm-hmm. They might be the bully on the school ground that just, mm-hmm. you know, goes and teases and houses and everybody and never gets humbled or eventually does when somebody else finally cleans their clock or something like mm-hmm. that. But 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I see, I see definitely, um, you know, how that experience can be very, um, tempering mm -hmm. for people and, um, that it's good that they go through for, for one, you know, usually I've seen the, the girls or the other, other, sometimes it's boys that are getting teased too, yeah. because the other one that's like the, I mean, to me, these are little, little kids often, right? Yeah. But, but you know, remember being a kid, you're still, you're still got the bullies and you still exactly. got the, the jobs, you know, the ones that look bigger and all that stuff. And yeah. you know, now I'm looking at them and they're, they're half the height, right? Yeah. But, but that dynamic is still at play, that mm -hmm. human dynamic. And, um, so I think it's, it's far better for people to, um, encounter that kind of adversity and have to go through that and, and be humbled mm -hmm. by experience and to be the one that's teasing everybody else and then is the one that pees and pees, you know, yeah. pees themselves, mm -hmm. which has happened, you know, I, I don't know what happened a couple of times every season mm -hmm. or every, every group almost. Yeah. So like I've seen it a lot. Like, uh -huh. and, group dynamics. and, um, um, only, only maybe one out of 10 times that it was a girl mm -hmm. that, that, mm -hmm. that really freaked out and like, you know, pee running down the leg. It yeah. was, it was pretty much mostly the boys and typically the boys that would be all bravado mm -hmm. at the bottom. And so that bravado is like, and then so on a microcosmic level, you're kind of looking back at this going, Hey, well, that's how, that's how people are in, in the big world. Yeah. You know, you got all this bravado and, but the bravado is covering up fear, mm -hmm. it's coming up fear, anxieties, um, you know, doubts, things like that, but yeah. they covered it up. It's like some people use humor to, to cover up, mm -hmm. you know, pain and stuff. Well, not that some comedians, I mean, that's yeah, not a bad a thing, of, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, mm -hmm. I do that a lot. Sometimes yeah. when I'm like really stressed out, I just go listen to comedy or just laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get to, to, to get out of that. But, um, yeah. Anyways, I've, I've seen, I've definitely seen that dynamic. Yeah. And that, uh, that's where I'm like listening to you though. And you have that experience and you had something that was learned mm -hmm. and like, I wouldn't want that to be an injury, right? Yeah. Um, but it was it really caught catch caught your attention. Yeah. And like you have very high level introspection regarding it. Because you say yeah. peer pressure or and my need to explore. Like I don't it the the amount of like I'm not trying to pump you up though, but like the amount of knowledge that you have of your own self and like, you know, yourself in social situations and your your own self in terms of ambition and striving for things, mm -hmm. like I could tell you, you think, you don't just think a lot about it. You've experienced a lot of it. Yeah. And, and like, and you're still encountering struggle. Yeah. And, you know, as a lot of people as far ahead mm -hmm. of me, I, it appears, even it's, when they are. From all I've seen so far, it seems to be a lifelong thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even if you're really successful, like, oh, you're such like an amazing person. You got like, you've yeah, figured lots we, of things out. And so we always think the grass is greener on the other side until we get there and yeah. realize it's the uh, same grass. Exactly. And I think that really like, in, in my opinion, really humanizes you and makes you very personable, Dusty. Yeah. And, thanks, man. Um, yeah. Well, that's. Uh, it's, it's all humanness and it's, um, you know, I, I'm on, on one hand, you know, I, I hear sometimes the, the thoughts of, oh, well, if you could go back and change anything in your past, you know, what could you eliminate? What could you do? What would you make, you know, not happen and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of terrible things that have, that I've seen, that I've witnessed, I've been experienced or been part of, mm -hmm. uh, in some form. And, um, very painful, painful stuff. But if, um, oh, I'm trying to say in that, what am I trying to convey? <laughs> oh boy. Um, 
I guess I guess just what I'm trying to trying to say is like I yeah I'm I'm grateful I and I mean I've heard many people also say this in many ways like I I although although there's definitely I have regrets of of things that I've lived through and seen and stuff there was also I it was the only way it could have played out at the time mm-hmm. you know yeah. and it's just sometimes there's been tragedy and um and I wish I could change it or fix it, but I can't. And it's like, well, you got to learn. Mm-hmm. You got to learn from it and move on, keep going, and um, you know, and heal. And I think that the 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 opportunity in adversity is the chance to introspect, the chance to see, mm-hmm. the chance to grow, um, the chance to overcome, mm-hmm. and all of those things foster growth, foster uh, development. And sometimes that growth is. Um, actually letting go of things hmm. you know um one of my favorite monks he's uh is a story uh, he talks about you know um saying that somebody was having terrible trouble and there there is like you know oh why doesn't they'll just say like why doesn't god help me or why doesn't mm-hmm. you know when they go through these difficult things and he said well you know he says when you think about it you know people are like you're like a marble block said so the perfect image the perfect soul is right there within the within the block the perfect mm-hmm. image is right there and when you think about it, all we have to do to get that perfect is chip off the pieces the sculptor mm-hmm. comes and the sculptor and is in this case referring to the sculptor being god comes and starts chipping away the pieces mm-hmm. but what do we do when our pieces get chipped off we go ow that hurts stop chiseling and we <laughs> grab those pieces and we try to cement them right back into the block and i'm i'm paraphrasing i'm quoting mm-hmm. that and because we want that same thing. We don't want to have hurt. We want to, we want it all to be rosy and lovely yeah. all the time. And we don't, we don't want that stuff. But uh-huh. yet, it's actually those things being chipped away, chipping away at the ego, mm. chipping away at the idealism, chipping away at the material desires, chipping away at these things that aren't really serving the soul. They're serving the ego temporarily, mm-hmm. or they're serving the psyche in some way temporarily, but they're not really in harmony with with healing they're not really in harmony and flow with life mm. and and for your best outcome mm. right so there's this gradual okay gradual oh. chipping away hold on just let them finish <laughs> the gradual what the chipping away you know so so you can look at it at it that way as as you know we're gradually healing we're gradually um having opportunities to heal mm-hmm. to expand to introspect um and then the other flip side of that is that we're having we're able to shed Mm. shed off those things that we that no longer really serve us Mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe it's uh, abusive relationships maybe it's drug addictions maybe Mm -hmm. it's you know whatever it is the need to please the need to please yeah I mean and and I don't mean to be cliche with like drug addictions or whatever Mm because there's there's a lot of drugs and consciousness exploration there's nothing wrong with that at all <laughs> yeah. right your behavior with the drug right but it, it's it's no matter what it is it's the covering up of something else mm-hmm. right so um you know which i admit that i still do i still do this through adventure mm-hmm. um when there's something mm-hmm. that i'm struggling with there's a piece of writing i, I don't want to do or mm-hmm. there's some work on my computer i don't want mm-hmm. you know what i do i go to my garage and I start playing with my gear same thing you yeah. know I start toying. I, I go to the comfort. Yeah, I go I to the, go trip to the comfort reports. places until I've had enough comfort. And then it's like, okay, all right, maybe I can tackle some of this now. Mm, maybe, yeah. maybe. Okay, now I'm going to chip away at this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And but then, I still find that I have to go back. And and I would like sometimes I would like if I could just, uh, you know, just get through it, be mm-hmm. over it. You know, why can't why let me just yeah. focus on what I need to do? Exactly. Get on all those tasks. Easy. And what is it that I'm avoiding? And I'm. 
and I'm, I'm not even 100% certain exactly what all the avoidance is. I kind of have a nagging feeling, but it's like, you know, hey, and I, I just look at that as this part of life and part of my um, everybody's everybody has. I think we start out innocent. I think there's a comes a breaking point in life. Mm hmm for whatever or some injury illness mm -hmm. something happens and we kind of get broken for a while and mm. then and then there's or we get turned upside down and then we go through life and then we we are gradually healing and coming right mm. side up again mm -hmm. yeah and and then and through that process we're gaining wisdom mm -hmm. and stuff it's like that so, whole crucible right yeah so here i've got you know i've got far more wisdom and insight and experience and understanding now of things that i do now at 50 than i had at 20 mm -hmm. or yeah. you know let alone 15 or whatever else or you, even 30 you have that thing with like like very uh a very real and felt experience that we can understand is like the exercise where mm. if you like need to improve your cardio if you want to improve your cardiovascular health mm. and you've never done that before the you have to stress your body that's the only reason way like Okay, yeah, that you're gonna get like growth, right? Yeah, and that initial stress is so overwhelming, and then as we go along and face that overwhelming stress, our body adapts, and as it adapts a little more and a little more, it the felt experience stress is a little less. Yes, and and like it's a physical thing, and I see it. What you're saying is just played out over our entire life. Yeah, you know, in a very not in a physical way, but in a very emotional and yeah, and spiritual way. You no, know, I was saying right. to you before, like I was, you know, I, I tried going to school for a bit. I've been out of school for 27 years, and I just, I was finding that too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna do this adventure stuff on the side. And now it's like, hey, you know what? I've I've come to really accept and realize actually this is this is the stuff I love. Mm. This is my love. This is my passion. These are things that I'm good at. I have other deep interests too, and yeah. things that I love and passionate about, and I'd love to share with people. But this mm. is the most tactile and the most, you know, I find it quite rewarding. And I find that it's been my own personal area and study of mastery. Mm -hmm. And I'm not claiming to be the master of rope and mm -hmm. all of that by no means. Uh, but I have had a lot of opportunity to experience things and to learn, to grow, to understand, um, to understand systems, how things work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, and how to, you know, in my own way, master that so that I'm, I have control over my environment. And then I help train and teach and share that with other people because so they can also <laughs> – I particularly, like I said, I particularly love when, when people have had challenge in their life and they, mm -hmm. they've had a lot of chaos and abuse or whatever's going on yeah. in their lives. And it's it's a joy for me when I can see somebody catching on to something and really getting some empowerment. Yeah. I, I see empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I see empowerment building. I see self-reliance building. Mm. And and wherever the person is in their wounds or their healing process, mm -hmm. It's a positive step. I've never mm -hmm. seen it yet be a negative. Yeah. that's Not an, yet. And that experiential, you know what I mean? That therapeutic experience is like, yeah. that's why I believe it's so powerful because it's not connected to an ideology. It's yeah. literally put you out there and then you have that experience. There it, you go. And that's like, that's the problem, not the problem, but that's the limitations that I had from teaching from an ideology. In yes. which it, it it was very limited, and it's almost like the the moment that I try to explain it, the reality mm -hmm. is ahead of my explanation. 
Like that's see, as I, I was telling you earlier about the geology and the different perspectives of subduction and expansion mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, um, you know, uh, originally the one was my ideology and that's what mm-hmm. I taught. But then as I opened up, I had to keep my mind open and go, you know, is that really the only thing, you know, mm-hmm. and then I start learning more and it's like more pieces come together and it's like, hey, you know, maybe it's not all that I thought that I knew. Maybe mm. there is something more. Maybe I am. Oh, wow. There's actually is something more that I'm learning and seeing. And I'm, I'm actually expanding my awareness of things. That's good. You know. Um, so, yeah. Um. <laughs> ah, ah, you're so cool, dude, Dusty. Dude, I had another thought on that. Yeah. But it, oh, it did you? Come. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm probably not drinking enough water as I, <laughs> as I, as I talk and think and, and spurt stuff out. But, um, yeah. Anyhow. It's not clear and copacetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah clear not yeah <laughs> clear and maybe not so copious yeah her copious yeah not so clear uh, <laughs> something like that anyway um <laughs> we do we could save it for later too yeah we can save it for later too so i'm sure we've got probably more to talk about another time yeah uh, i would love to have you back on to talk well among other things as well but sure. like the geology um that your experience learning the geology on Vancouver Island, yeah, and then also a lot of the stuff regarding trauma and spirituality. Oh, yeah, and that was that yeah. thing. That was what I was Go thinking on that I just wanted to add because you were talking about the ideology. Yeah, right. And I mentioned this book to you uh, by Jiddu Krishnamurti called "Freedom from the Known." Mm-hmm. It's one of the, it's a collection. It's just basically a collection of his lectures and stuff that somebody published and put put Ooh. all together, and where he really clearly, concisely, in such a immaculate and surgically incisive way looks and examines our thought and our observation and how much we get trapped by idealism, Mm. how much we are swayed and how much we're um, drawn to wanting to know and swayed by what we what our ideal is and some kind of ideal image Mm -hmm. ideal image of the family ideal image of a job ideal image of happiness ideal image of enlightenment ideal of relationships or whatever these ideals are Mm -hmm. because these ideals are again they're chasing something Mm there it's like it's not here present it's some ideal that's somewhere else Mm -hmm. i have to move to that ideal Mm-hmm. I'm not ideal right now. I have got to move to some ideal. Mm-hmm. There's some ideal I've got to strive for. Maybe if I work really hard, I can get to that ideal too. And, But all the while, um, we're missing out on the opportunity of presence. The only time and the only space and the only place we can really be in action and presence is right here, right now, mm-hmm. in the present moment. And so by... I find that these things adventure-wise, it brings you into the present, brings yeah. me into the present. Into the present. It brings you, me, whoever. Um, I might be having stresses and stuff and anxieties I don't want to deal with at work or whatever outside outside the realm, but I get down into a canyon and now I'm like, I'm on point. Now I've got what I've got to do and this is it. And um <laughs> Yeah, yeah and exactly. All, and that's what know, I've had. Right with. back to being present now. And that's what I've had with <laughs> with rock climbing. It is I I did my first uh, sure I did my first rope solo like um, top rope soloing um, for rock climbing, and there was nobody at the crag. It was just me, and yeah. like I lost or uh, five hours just slipped away. 
And like, it didn't go fast and it didn't take long, but I just, I wasn't checking anything. I wasn't even checking in. Am I hungry? Mm-hmm. And I even after, in those moments, I have to remind myself, you need to drink. Yeah. Cause like, I just like forget it's just everything. And I'm just yeah. right there right now, you know? Yeah. And like, and that, I think I came away and I just had this like constant smile from, you know, the 40 minute drive from Erie to my house. Like, yeah, and it was, it was so beautiful. And usually I'd like listen to noise, like put a podcast on, but like I had my headphones, nothing. And I just, I didn't feel the need like, oh, I'm bored. Oh, I need to check something. Or yeah, like, because you were just, just fulfilled. You yeah. had the most fulfilling experience that you gave yourself by overcoming something. Yeah, you exactly. took a challenge. You went. You weren't sure. There was danger. There was risk involved. But yet you did it. You overcame. And the feeling, the reward that comes from that is is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when, I, when I speak about how this can be so therapeutic for people to do stuff and to overcome their fears and to overcome and take challenges, mm-hmm. that's exactly that kind of feeling that I'm, that I'm talking about yeah. and that I, that I want to inspire a help or, or just, just um, encourage mm-hmm. and support yeah. in people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I want to support that encouragement, that healing, that, that you know, just being present with, uh, with stuff. And Try to go back to we all have stuff to work through in our lives, and we can still work on those things. Exactly. But, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> but I, I definitely find that adventure helps. No, don't do that. <laughs> and that's where it's like the definition of, you know, it's just your relationship with things, right? Yeah. And, and that's how I had it with two, because, like, I have avoided um, all, like, financial goals or whatever it was. Like, yeah. if I even had a sense of urgency in my finances, I'm like... Oh, I maybe shouldn't have been climbing like six days, six days in a week and just like, yeah, really going, going for that. And that's where I find like, oh, it's a little too much. Yeah. And then I came back, but I would, and then it's like a last thing is, is when you do certain activities like these, what I find is, is like, if anyone out there doesn't, isn't able to put all those things together. If they're if they have something that they like to do, like let's um, it's more like a consumer, mm-hmm. um, which is like playing a video game or watching a movie, which I really like those things, too. Mm-hmm. But just frame it this way. The more that you do that to have more of that experience, you must buy more. Mm. Right. And to to have more of a rock climbing or a canyoneering experience, once you have the gear. Mm-hmm. You don't buy more and more and more and more gear to go on more and more of that, you know, trip. But, well, yeah, yeah, that's, I know, I feel the same way. It's like, yeah, my garage. Yeah, you should see. I know, I'm like building up cams and like, but, but like also though, the way that your body responds to it too. Like, Mm -hmm. fit exercise is something that is for longevity, anyways, is pretty essential. But like, if you do something that you just sit, like, if you have something that makes you move, Think about that. It gives you a healthy lifestyle. It makes you like increases your physical health at least a little bit. And all those things feed into themselves in like a very positive way. But if I yeah. were like, now I'm not bemoaning video games because I still play them. But mm-hmm. if, if that was my main grind, I would have to have all these sidetracks to be able to keep me alive and healthy. Yeah. So, so at the very least, if you're just looking at it from a level of enjoyment, there seems to be even like painting and stuff too things that are intrinsically motivating mm-hmm. and the rewards are more than just immediate pleasure. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of other positive consequences that might be worth looking into. For sure. Um, Absolutely. Is there anywhere that people could like learn more about you, Dusty, or check out Gosh. some of the stuff that you've done? You oh. know, I don't presently have a website. That's something I'm going to eventually build. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, as I as I kind of get stuff organized to kind of get my own uh, things going on. Uh, let's see. Um, on Get in the Wild Adventures website under the uh, under the uh, the staff or the or the who we are, I'm I'm in there, and there's a little bit of a bio on me on my history there. On uh, if you looked up on uh, Get in the Wild Adventures, uh, I think it's Get in the Wild. I forget. I'm sorry, I'm losing the. I'll the have info. the links to it in the show notes. Too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, and um, and I'm on Facebook, and you know I've got some info there, lots of photos. Um, so yeah, I don't have a lot else, but people mm-hmm. are, you know, you can always contact me by Facebook or by by email or whatever uh, way, links, that type of thing. Um, I I coach people, train people, um, and uh, yeah. That's cool, man. Stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, sometimes sometimes I'm just charging, sometimes by donation, sometimes just because. Um, I do a lot of stuff with Cascade Grotto, at least before COVID now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do typically uh, three, four, maybe five trainings with a group oh, cool. per year. And I would usually do a couple of trainings with uh, through the at the Mountaineers with the, uh, the Canyoneering group. Mm-hmm. Usually take part in that and just help coach and support people. Nice. And uh, so right now I do that out of my house as long as um, people are um, COVID free mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we, um, you know, whether it's masked or in distance and stuff, we often have to be within six feet of each other. But mm-hmm. so where there's ways to deal with that. And um, yeah, this is something and I'm also working on my own uh, writing up and drawing up my own curricula. Basically, oh, that's cool. I've been kind of thinking about it. It's like I really need to kind of make my own book. Yep. So it's something I'm putting a lot of. Uh, thought to to and so that's kind of trying to set that as a goal and how i can how i can get that together and how i can keep keep doing what i love to do yeah and absolutely. um and eventually support myself and have enough mm-hmm. income to do just the things that i love to do yeah. that, that 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 will be enough oh, that's and right. that can be enough um and it should be enough mm-hmm. you know? yeah because really. it's like it's taken me quite a while i mean i've done this stuff for so long but yet it's been if it hasn't been my main job it's always been a side thing mm-hmm and here I came into this, you know, in this recent stretch of thinking, oh, this is going to be a side thing. And now I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, no. <laughs> this is looking like this is what I got to really do. Because, yeah. again, you know, I've, I've got, I have resources to share. I mm-hmm. love to teach. I love to share. It's a passion I've got. Um, I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, got a lot of experience at it. And, um, you know, and I'm also always learning. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy to keep learning. Um, I learn a lot by teaching also, which is also something part of why in these off seasons right now, I take on students and mm-hmm. I'll have a couple people per weekend or whatever that'll come out and I'll train them on stuff. Because even if it's something I've been training a hundred times, there's some opportunity in there usually where I've got something I can learn. Yeah. I can figure out, hey, well, well, I can see it. I can learn a slightly better technique of teaching. Mm-hmm. I can a slightly better technique of moving the body to a different position or or whatever it is. You know, I, I can continually work on improving my own self mm-hmm. as I hopefully cool. aid to help other people improve their situations yeah. and themselves, too. That's so, a beautiful yeah. thing. Dusty. That's my thing. Yeah, so there you go. Oh, sweet. Thank you so much. I oh, appreciate you're welcome. It. It's been a pleasure. And I uh, look forward to talking to you more another time. Ooh, yeah. I love getting to talk with Dusty. Man, I even cried a few times. That guy's got such a beautiful story. I guess it really hits home with me because, I don't know, our predicament in some ways is very similar. And it's beautiful when I can, like, <sighs> look in someone's eyes and through through all of the, the costumes 
see a reflection in my own self. And I see it in you know, so many places. And I hope for you, it's an experience that, that you get to have at some point in your life or that you've already had. Because it's like, if I were to just do one thing, it's like, ah, like that, like a big exhale. And like Dusty has this love and relationship with adventure that fills me with enthusiasm and excitement to see somebody who spent literally decades exploring this beautiful like island off the Pacific coast, you know, Vancouver Island, going through all these caves, seeing geology that had taken place over, you know, an unimaginable amount of time. And all the while witnessing your own character unfolding as a result. Being afraid of entering the deep, dark cave. Facing your fears. Being rewarded with something that's magical and beautiful. And ultimately getting to see the character of not only yourself, but Earth and geology. And to reflect on that. It's beautiful. It's visceral. It just makes me so enthused and excited about life. And it's not without its pain. I mean, that's the encapsulation of adventure is a goal and unexpected adversity along the way. However, I would say that, that is life encapsulated in one sequence of events. Because life is adventure. Life is the uncertainty that things can all fall apart and you race to put them together. God, and I don't... I find myself struggling to control things and to try to understand things and remove this degree of uncertainty. But I think that in life, that's where the value comes from. That's the meat and potatoes of the story. That's the thing that makes you want to beat the drums, stamp your feet... Smile wide. It's this point of resistance. What is life without resistance? What is virtue without people who make it challenging to be virtuous? Ha! Dusty's so cool. If you want to check out some of Dusty's photos from Canyoneering and some videos, you can head over to his Facebook. I'll leave the link to that in the show notes. And then you can also check out some photos and videos I posted on the website, becominghumanpodcast.com. You can even find us on social media on Instagram at Becoming Human Podcast and Facebook is Becoming Human Podcast as well. You can even sign up for our newsletter, sending out an email every week. To let you know when a new article has been released on the website or a new episode of the podcast. And one thing about the articles is is I love to keep them short, sweet, and actionable. So anytime that I release something, I hope it gives you the opportunity to improve your life in some fashion.
And then uh, just in closing, I'm going to talk about uh, two of the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, Waking Up is a beautiful meditation app that is very succinct information, the most critical information to get you into the experience of meditating. And rather than pontificating and describing um, what you will experience, Sam Harris just puts you there and gives you the room to suss it all out and to interpret what what it is like to meditate. It's beautiful. He has, like, to start you off as a 30-day program, and every day it's like a 10-minute meditation, and he takes you through, uh, he uses all of his, like, you know, years and years of knowledge to give you the most impactful lessons to teach you about consciousness and mindfulness. Um, and you can find that on uh, Android in the Play Store and iTunes in the iTunes Store as well. Or you can go over to wakingup.com and be sure to let them know that Will Becoming Human podcast has sent you so you could support the show. And uh, also, thank you to Yoga for BJJ. They're an amazing jujitsu or yoga service that's not just yoga for jujitsu athletes, it's yoga for people who have a passion, but they want to maintain and improve their. Um, mobility and coordination and stability. And with this little, these programs that, um, that they put together is very um, compact and effective, right? They remove as much of the fluff that they can and just get you straight to the point. And it's done wonders for my health and well-being. I mean, just yoga in general, I've been practicing for, you know, over over three years now, and it has substantially improved my uh, my physical well-being and even my mental well-being. Um, you can go to yogaforbjj.com or yogaforbjj.com, and you can um, check out their programs. And if you sign up, uh, make sure you let them know that that you were sent from the Becoming Human podcast, so that you can support the show. They even have apps on um, Android and iPhones. And I'm going to play you out with a beautiful song um, by Trevor Hall called Without Expectations. I hope y'all are having a wonderful holiday season. And remember, all we really can focus on are the things that we can control. Bye. I love you.
I see a robe of patches It is perfectly arranged Here there is no worry Letting go of shame We sit in pure absence Without expectation Everything will 